more spooky. Michael Myers spent the last 40 years in captivity. I have prayed that he would escape so I can kill him. He's waited for this night. He's here. He's waited for me. Michael! Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and the trash to pieces of genre cinema and the Halloween franchise. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. Ah, oh, came up with a new introduction on the last last Halloween episode. I'm sure everyone will love it and demand it for every off I don't give a shit. Anyway. Hi, I'm Gary. This is Horror Court Trash Over. <laughs> the Ma- fuck was that? <laughs> Meltdown's over. <laughs> okay. It's been a long month. Been a long month. A long intro. I have, I have had a lot of fun with this, not including last week. <laughs> I've had less fun with this, but yeah, it's still, it's been, it's been good. It's been cool. It's, yeah. it's been alright. It's, it's been really nice to there's have some very highs, uh, very highs. There's very some highs. High highs and some low lows. Yes, and we're back this week to talk about the high highs. Uh, but yeah, the reactions to these episodes have been great, so thank you for sticking with us and listening to us go through Michael Myers' very complicated life story Yes, for uh, thank you. four weeks in a row. Um, so we're here, Michael Myers, Three Years, Part 5, our final part for now. Obviously, Halloween Ends comes out next year, so I'll have to conclude it then properly. Um, but we're back this week to discuss my two favourite sequels in this franchise. Yeah. Yeah, yours too? Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, before uh, we start, two things. First of all, I did I forget... I want to names of the films. I did forget <laughs> to read out the poll results for la- for the Rob Zombie films. So, Halloween 2007 won. Uh, it's incorrect, but thank you for voting. Uh, this week's poll... We are, of course, talking about Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills. Bloody this hell. week's poll, the winner was Halloween 2018 with 68%, but Halloween Kills got an impressive 32%. And finally, three things. Oh, that impressive in comparison. The way people are treating this film, that's very fucking impressive. I was surprised it even got one. Uh, anyway, before we start this episode properly, after talking shit for like three minutes... We do need to put a heavy spoiler warning on because Halloween Kills is still in cinemas now. Um, it's still out there. People are still going to see it. It's still new, still fresh. So if this is your first time listening, I, I don't know why, 147 episodes in, 148 even. Um, but we will go into major spoiler territory from as early as when we start talking about our film. But anyway... Okay, yeah. I I just like to say you can start listening whenever you like. <laughs> you can start with one foray it's, and work your way it's back. True. You don't have to start from the beginning. If this is the first time you're listening to us, then welcome. Welcome. And please ignore what Gary just. We said. are going yeah. to. Uh, yeah, if I mean, just also, a bit over the top. Also, if you knew, I'm. If you'll know I'm shit with words. Won't know I'm shit with words. So there we go. Yeah. Um, as just demonstrated. But yes, Halloween Curls, major spoiler territory. Once we get into that film. 
Yeah. So don't listen if you haven't seen the film. Yeah. And you're going to see the film. Yeah, and absolutely go and support this film. It is fucking great. I think everyone has, though. It's doing really well in the box office. Yeah, it's doing great. It's doing great. It's been There's... advertised really well. There's a divide, and, and what's weird is we scheduled Halloween Kills in, like, when it was announced. So we, we, did, we knew we were going to do the Halloween franchise two years ago. Um, but we didn't know that it would be such a massive talking point within the horror community. And, of course, on Sunday we're discussing Malignant, the other massive talking point between the horror community, which we scheduled in before all this happened with Halloween Kills. So it's yeah, divided people. They're both they're both films that have divided people. Yeah. So no matter what shit we talk about, people who don't like the film in this episode, just know we do respect your opinion. Yeah. But starting off, it's just a film at the end of the day. We're starting off Halloween twenty eighteen. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Directed by David Gordon Green, the director of Pineapple Express, uh, The Sitter, Your Highness, Joe, Stronger. The upcoming Exorcist sequel trilogy, uh, of course, Halloween ends next year, and the upcoming Hellraiser TV series. The Sitter, what's The Sitter? Uh, Jonah Hill comedy. Oh, okay. I thought it was that Samara Weaving. No, That's no, the no. baby No, sitter, David Gordon Green had no involvement with horror prior to this film, which is so impressive. Um, budget, $10 million. And it went on to make a whopping $255.6 million worldwide. That's good. Huge success. um, Which is incredible for the 11th film in a franchise. And, you know, a film that has the lead character as as an older lady. Yeah. You know, in in her 60s. That's... Insane. Insane. And it's so great to see. It's so great to see. So getting into the trivia, Jake Gyllenhaal helped convince Jamie Lee Curtis to reprise her role of Laurie Strode for the film. He's a family friend of Curtis and is dubbed as her unofficial godson. Oh. Good old Jake Gyllenhaal. Saving Halloween franchise. Thanks. Saving it. <laughs> the role of Alison, Laurie's granddaughter, became somewhat of a co- uh, coveted role. Multiple popular actresses, including Lucy Hale and Emma Roberts, met with Danny McBride to personally talk about the movie. However, the studio decided that they wanted to go back to the roots of the first film and cast an unknown actress, similar to how Jamie Lee Curtis was cast in the original. Yeah. Great move as well. Yeah, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, she was an unknown as an actress, but she did have famous parents. Yeah. But I understand what they're going for what they're going with also yeah Danny McBride uh, is the writer on this film as well so this is like the team behind Pineapple Express like a, a comedy and, and this is like I never watched Pineapple Express all I all I used, I assumed it was just about smoking weed speaking from Gary in 2009 or whatever it released I like Pineapple Express it's that's the film. kind of films you love isn't it I wouldn't say love that's stretched it a bit but I, well, I enjoyed it, it. I enjoyed it back then. I dread to think how it holds up these days. Um, Your Highness, their other film, I fucking turned it off after 10 minutes. It was dreadful. Um, but yeah, I came back and done this. You've seen that a little bit, aren't you? It's what? the um, comedians making horror films. Yeah, yeah, this is a big thing for this sort of era. Uh, of course, you have Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Um, 
someone else did it as well, and I can't remember who they are. I mean, you had, even comedians going serious in general, Adam Sandler with Uncut Gems. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. That That's a whole other topic, but... Um, the idea that comedians being fans of the genre, yeah. horror genre, then making horror films, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, so-and-so is making a horror film when they've probably got more horror knowledge than us, you know? Oh, Chris Rock, Spiral. Oh, Chris Rock, Spiral, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah from the original Halloween 1978 cast, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, Nick Castle and PJ Souls returns. Uh, PJ Stoltz plays a teacher as her original character Linda died in the first film. Original director John Carpenter returns as executive producer and also returns to score the film. Uh, although Carpenter generally prefers not to be personally involved in any sequels or remix of his works, he usually accepts a original screenplay credit and check through the post. Uh. Producer Jason Blum convinced him into taking a more active role in this movie as a spiritual advisor. Carpenter met uh, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, loved their picture to the story, and contributed with several script ideas. And, it, it, you know, it is so nice to see John Carpenter so heavily involved with films these days. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he's an older gentleman, so I, I don't think we'll get a film directed by him again. Um, so it's nice to see his involvement. Um, it's also, you know, nice to see that yeah, I, he had to be, not coerced into, but had to be sort of pushed to take part. Yeah. But the score is fantastic. Oh, it is. So his heart was in it. You know, we're not we're not talking Halloween 2, where um, he kind of pieced together whatever sort of screenplay he could and kind of regretted it years later. Yeah, and, and John Carpenter's the sort of guy that he doesn't pull any punches in interviews, and he's publicly said how much he loves both this and Halloween Kills. And he even went as far as saying Halloween Kills was one of the best slasher films he's ever seen. Mm. So it's nice to have, to know that support's there from someone who created this franchise and basically fucked the rest of it off. Yeah, essentially. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's true. Danny McBride said that they originally planned to do two back-to-back movies, but they decided to scale it back to one film. Uh, we were like, let's learn from this and see what works and what doesn't, explained McBride. But we definitely had an idea of where we would go with this branch of the story and hopefully we'd get a chance to do it. And then, of course, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends were announced shortly after that interview. Um, yeah, so it's nice that they've got a plan in place and they're not just making a shit up as they go along. Yeah. You know, they've got an end goal. And they've do- apparently they're doing the same with the Exorcist trilogy as well. They know how it's going to end. Yeah. Um, which shows within the continuity of these films because the continuity... As we all know, I, I love a good bit of continuity in films and it is spot on. In both of these. Like, there's so many little things that connect to and, like, little Easter eggs and stuff. I mean, we have a whole section about the connections to the franchise coming up, but between the two films, 2018 and Kills, like, the guy from the asylum who jumps out the window and kills, mm-hmm. you know, he's in 2018. He's there in that opening scene. It's all these little details. It's, it's fantastic. You love shit. I, like I really that. do. It's, um,. <laughs> like the MCU so when Gary was showing me the MCU I struggled to piece it all together and when we watch new films Gary's like oh my god it's him he's from <laughs> he was in that scene he was in it oh oh he was in Black Panther oh and I'm like who who's this bloke 
And Gary's yeah. having a, a fit over like, oh, oh, that was that was in from that film. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, so with Halloween being my favourite film of all time, and with these films being so spot on with that sort of shit that I love as well, I'm sure you can all imagine how much I love both of these films. I've never heard... I've never seen someone get so excited over the word fate. Ben Tramer. <laughs> oh, ben Tra- <laughs> the words Ben Tramer. Um, well, everyone gets excited over the words Ben Tramer. David Gordon Green said in an interview for Collider that the first cut of the film was 2 hours and 15 minutes long uh, and that both the fat of the film and entire scenes were cut out for pacing and length. Mm. This explains why there are so many deleted and alternative scenes in the trailers and behind the scenes photos of the film. Yeah, I'll put it out there. I don't think any slasher film should be two hours and 15 minutes no. long. These push, I mean, these are like an hour and 45 minutes yeah. each, and that is pushing it for a slasher film, mm. but nothing feels unnecessary. Everything that's in there feels valid. Yeah, and it's not, it's not your, they are slasher films, but they're not your quintessential slasher films. I think Halloween kills big, it. I feel there's a big sort of, there's, there's more of a drama to it yeah. and more of a, a thriller elements at times yeah. as well. I mean, they are horror films at heart, but there's a little more going on than yes. just, yeah. you know, stalk and slash. Uh, this was the biggest horror movie opening with a female lead, uh, biggest movie opening with a female lead over 55 across all genres, and biggest opening for any of the Halloween films. It was also the second biggest horror movie opening ever after It 2017, and the second biggest October opening ever after Venom, uh, and that was as of uh, October 22nd, 2018. Good on you. So, Everyone loves so Jamie Curtis, though, don't yeah. they? they? They love her. Speaking of the Queen, she credits this film as living up to the original. It's the closest. It is the absolute... It's I the gave closest. this the same rating as I gave the original. It's the closest you get. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis had immediately hit it off with uh, David Gordon Green, crediting him as reminding her of John Carpenter. Okay. To achieve the intro sequence, the pumpkin rising back up, I, I opening credit sequence that also got a big gasp out of me in the cinema. <laughs> um, so. David Gordon Green revealed that a normal pumpkin was placed in front of a camera over a period of a few weeks until it rotted and slumped down. It was then reversed and edited properly for the title sequence to give the illusion that a pumpkin was rising on its own. And it, it looks great. Yeah. Well, it, it does look great, but... I mean, is that really trivia? I mean, that's it's kind of clear that's what they did. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, not everyone's <laughs> as clever as you. Fucking hell. Well, I mean, they didn't CGI it. It looks like a real pumpkin. <laughs> I'd be more impressed if it was CGI, but like, oh, well, wow, that's some great CGI. I'll do something with that little segue. Um, yeah, this film uses little to no CGI, mm. which is really impressive for a modern horror film. Yeah. Yeah, there you go, I did something with that. What is you. little to no CGI? Like, no CGI, I don't know. I just said that to cover my back in case there's like a bit of CGI fire or something. Oh, I see, excuse but, me. But uh, as far as I know, there's no CGI in this film, which is amazing. Whilst John Carpenter intended for this film to be the last definitive Halloween specifically uh, featuring Michael Myers, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green quickly indicated that possible sequels are not out of the question uh, with the obviously the concept of creating around the trilogy. Uh, Carpenter later su- said that he was open to suggestions as long as he's being paid. And he's at that point now. And they got their wish um, and Carpenter read the scripts obviously for Kills and Ends and was happy with it. Do you think that the ending to Halloween 2018, if it just ended there, 
that would be a sufficient ending. Yes. I think so, too. I was happy with the way it ended. Yeah, I Um, I actually thought that, too. But at the same time, I'm happy with how it continued as well. Yeah. Um, I see they're dropping these little hints about supernatural Michael Myers. I mean... He's pretty much Jason Voorhees and Halloween Kills. There has to be a supernatural element to it because... And John Carpenter intended that in the original. Yeah. Well, he's he's meant to be the boogeyman. Yeah. You can't yeah. kill the boogeyman. That exactly. is the whole idea. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what people have struggled with. Mm. The idea... Because uh, even... what I, I feel like what we're getting... And I'm, I'm guilty of it sometimes... Um, is we overanalyze films and we kind of do the cinematic sins thing mm. where we're like, well, the telephone would never be placed on that. Or, or you know, the, the, um, a Yorkshire Terrier would never act in that way. Yeah. That kind of thing where we we overanalyze a little bit. And we're, we're about to do the same with these two films. Yeah. And we do it with every film, but... With Halloween Kill specifically, is a film you've got to shut your brain off for. It yeah. really is. The, like the slasher films of the 80s. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't... I mean, even with the way he survives in Halloween Kills, he locks himself in a gun locker. So it's like, okay, still not jumping the shark. He still had a valid way of surviving. Yeah. He kept himself in there. The fire engines pretty much turned up straight away. But then, obviously, as he gets towards the end of the film... His survival is a little questionable. Yeah, that's when it goes... <laughs> that's when... Yeah. Friday the 13th, yeah. in my opinion. James Drew Courtney, who plays Michael Myers, consulted with real-life killers on how to kill people to make his performance believable. Uh, in his own words, Michael has been locked up for 40 years, so he's had a long time to think about killing, but obviously he's still efficient and driven, so I wanted to make sure people see that in my performance. We always say it, don't we, on here, you know, killers like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, there's a guy in a mask... You know, you do what you do. I, I think James Jude Courtney's probably the best Michael Myers. Yeah. I mean, obviously Nick Castle did a great... Well, the five actors that played him in the original all did a great job. But James Jude Courtney is really intimidating. But without being as tall as the one in Rob Zombie's films. Yeah. You know? Perfect time. I struggle to differentiate. As long as they're not, like, tap dancing down the street, <laughs> I, they're all kind of the same. And I, I fully apologise to anyone who has played masked killers in films. Dick Warlock is going to be fucking you You all do a wonderful job, but I do struggle to differentiate between... Unless it's, like, really out there. I don't know. And You, you know, Freddy Krueger oh, yeah. has a particular yeah. way of speaking... You know, acting, it, there's more to him as a character. So you can tell the difference if, you know, it wasn't Robert mm. England or, you know, it wasn't Freddy Krueger as we know him. But with Michael Myers, I mean, he's just, he, he walks. Yeah, you've got to have a certain way that it's like a certain thing to Michael Myers you've got to get right. And I think the majority of actors do it and that's why it's difficult to differentiate um, but if you compare him to someone like the guy in Halloween Resurrection, you can still see a noticeable difference there. Yeah, as long as it's a slow walk. Yeah. Um, all I can think of is um, 
Ben Tramer in Halloween too. <laughs> so obviously the differentiating between Michael Myers and someone dressed as Michael Myers. And the way that Ben Tramer kind of walks like he really needs a shirt. Like uh, fast walking, but kind of still robotic. <laughs> do you not agree? Yes, I do. Totally walk, still like, looking at it like that before. Looks, probably, he probably did need a shirt and then he just got car. killed, poor thing. Yeah. Danielle Harris has said in a live internet Q&A session on her social media that she attempted to put in a call to include her character from Halloween's 4 to 6 in the new movie in some capacity. However, the producers were not interested and dismissed the idea. As their new movie goes... Uh, movie goes? New movie ignores the events of those films. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's very much made clear from the start, Danielle Harris. Bless you. I mean, I know you're trying to get in every Halloween film ever made. But... Yeah, ble- bless your heart, but... I'd have liked to have seen you return. That's Just a Different bit... character. Yeah, it's a little um, desperate. And she's already bless played, you. like, two separate characters in the franchise, so... Yeah, yeah. Working titles included Halloween Returns, Halloween H40. Oh, no. And Halloween The Wrath of Michael Myers. Oh, no. They basically could have called Halloween Kills that. But Ra- yeah, Ralph and Michael Myers doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis revealed to Chris Hardwick on his podcast that she performed the sounds of the baby crying when Michael walked through the house. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I hope it's She's true. Talented Queen. I really hope that's true. Body Count 19. According to the leaked script and test audiences, uh, original ending had a very different and much shorter version of the final confrontation. Between Michael and Laurie. After she wounds him by shooting some of his fingers off and goes around the house trying to find him, they eventually end up outside the house where Laurie tries to shoot him but realises she's out of bullets. So she takes her own knife and gets into a knife fight with Michael during which she cuts him in the arm the same way he cut her 40 years ago. But he also manages to stab her in the chest. Uh, she's uh, about to stab and he's about to stab her again when Karen shoots him in the back with a crossbow arrow, heavily wounding him. Go on, Queen. Then while she and Alison are carrying wounded Laurie away while she's begging them to go back and kill him, wounded Michael goes into the woods and then ends up at the clearing near Laurie's house where her mannequins are and sits down against a tree, heavily breathing and is implied by the script that he's slowly dying. That sounds shit. Yeah, I'm so glad it didn't end that way. (laughs) I mean, Karen with a crossbow, yes please, but everything else, no thanks. Yeah, no, not a fan. So... Specifically for this episode, we have a bonus section called Familiar Sights for both of these films. All of the references, because we couldn't do it without mentioning these. There are so many, and we could forget whilst talking about the film, so here we go. The bus crash with the Smith's Grove patients uh, wandering around is a reference to the opening scene of Halloween 1978. Yes. The young boy is killed in the same way as Annie from 1978. Definitely noticed that one. It's Yeah, that you cannot miss. Trick-or-treaters can be heard singing the nursery rhyme from Halloween 1978. I couldn't hear that, but we had the um, blah, 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 subtitles, subtitles yeah. on. And um, they, they popped up and I was like, oh, what's that? Uh, trick-or-treaters... That, that little nursery rhyme I'd never fucking heard before. <laughs> was it written for the original? I, I assume it was. Uh, my personal favourite, trick-or-treaters can be seen wearing the three silver shamrock masks from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Mm. As well as a kid with a pirate costume and boombox in reference to Halloween 2. Oh, Lord. 
Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) (gasps) The kids walking down the street is similar to the original Halloween. Um, Obviously, the famous Annie Laurie and Linda walking home scene. The gas station is a reference to Halloween 4. Yeah. Aaron, the male journalist, is killed in the same way as Ken Foray in Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> yeah, he's not the one having the shit, though, is he? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> um, Vicky has a sheet placed over her corpse, just like the one Michael wore in the original. When he did Ghost Bob. Ghost Bob. Vicky's boyfriend is impaled by a large knife in the same way as Bob from the original. Mm-hmm. Julian runs out of the house screaming uh, to get help the same way Lindsay and Tommy did in the original. Okay, yeah, he does. The two cops outside Laurie's home bumbling about their Bon May sandwich is a reference to the bumbling cops in Halloween 5. But they didn't get their own clown music. They didn't get their own clown music, which is disappointing. Mm. Uh, Michael pretty much dies in... Dies, quote marks. Uh, in this the same way as he did in Halloween 2. Fire. Yep. Set on fire. Um, as we know, obviously, that wasn't the Michael case. Michael died by fire. Jason by water. How can we use that? Laurie falls on a balcony, and I know this is my favourite one, and is seen missing in the exact same way as Michael at the end of Halloween. Yeah. That was that was the one you marked out for. Yeah. In I, the cinema. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I must get chucked out. You're like, yeah. I, I was okay. slayed... I, I went to heaven, came back, and was slayed all over again. They made complaints because he was just like... <laughs> the whole film. When Michael kills his doctor, he does it the same way Michael kills the bouncer in Halloween 2. The face stomp. Bouncer? Yeah. The bouncer in Halloween 2. The guy who plays two characters in Halloween 2. The foot stomp. Which Halloween 2? Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Oh, We that. literally watched it last week. Oh, I don't fucking care. <laughs> The father who finds the crashed bus with his son has his neck broken in the same way as the trucker in Halloween, A Curse of Michael Myers, uh, in the producer's cut of the film. And finally, much like Michael did in Halloween Resurrection, Laurie uses her home to kill Michael. Oh, God. That is not a reference. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a Buster Rhymes shows up briefly. And no, it doesn't. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. That one's a stretch. I mean... But for everything cast before that, though, you know this film has been made by fans of the franchise. Yeah. There's a lot of fan service. There's a lot of Easter eggs. Um, you can. You absolutely tell that they're a fan of the franchise. Absolutely. Yeah. The good ones. <laughs> but, but, I mean, they reference every single one of them apart from H2O and Resurrection. So. Do they? Well, oh. Oh. No. No. Laurie, yeah, down in that glass oh, of wine. Oh shit! Yeah, it's absolutely H two O. That is, that's true. It's true. It's not Chardonnay, but it's still. not Chardonnay. <laughs> so getting into the film, Laurie Strode confronts her longtime foe, Michael Myers, the masked figure who has haunted her since she narrowly escaped Skillingsbury on Halloween night four decades ago. <gasps> or so they want you to think. Dun, dun, dun. On October 29th, 2018, Michael Myers, who has been institutionalised at Smith's Grove Psychiatric Hospital for 40 years following his killing spree in Haddonfield, is being prepared for transfer to a maximum security prison. British true crime podcasters Aaron Corey, played by a guy who lived in Coventry, by the way. Yeah, very close to us, didn't he? Uh, And Dana Haynes. (laughs) And Dana Haynes, 
visit the hospital and meet up with Dr. Rambin Sartain, a Loomis-type character with Michael Myers' obsession and an impressive moustache. He was Loomis' student before he passed away. Yeah. Yeah, Sartain is the Loomis. He is. Um... Dana, is the name Dana? Dana. Dana and Aaron are making a podcast. Good for them. And they want to get an audio interview of somebody who hasn't spoken for 40 years. Yeah. That's a bit dumb, isn't it? I mean, yeah. They, uh... Because they're not even, they weren't even filming it. I don't know why he was so shocked that Michael didn't speak. Did he really think... Like, did, yeah. That he was going to walk up and Michael's going to be like... Oh, hang on, I like your podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk with hey, you. It's, it's that Dana and Aaron. Cool, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, let's sit down. Let's have a chat. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Laurie Strode, don't get me started on that bitch. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it's just what what made me laugh was just the idea that they only had audio recording equipment yeah. when it's like, well, why, why don't you film this as well? And then mm. you could use that, you know, in some context. Um, because all you're actually getting, I mean, they were quite fortunate that when they did, you know, when they brought the mask out, everyone else went crazy or it would have literally just have been silence. Yeah. And no one would have believed them. I think uh, this is, a, I think they're made out to be bad podcasters, if I'm honest. I mean, they they're don't really, well, they don't really have a plan in place, do they? I mean, they show up at Laurie Strode's house, they go all that way. And then on the off chance, they offer us some money and she lets them in. So, <laughs> I think I think they're made out to be, uh, particularly Aaron, quite egotistical. Yeah. Oh, and definitely. I think that he genuinely believed that a man who hasn't spoken for 40 years <laughs> would suddenly start talking because he brings this mask out and, and he holds it. Oh, there's a very much an arrogance to him, isn't there? Oh, there definitely is, yeah. He's... Um, yeah, it, it's quite a satisfying death scene where yeah. he goes. Because it's a bit of a twat. Um, yeah, there's even a deleted scene because they're in a relationship. There's even a deleted scene where he pranks Dana in the shower with the Michael Myers mask. So he's very much that character. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of themes, obviously, in this film um, that we'll dive into. First of all, is everyone's obsession with true crime is definitely touched on in this film. Yeah. Especially with these, you know, these podcasts of an entire podcast dedicated to it. And then some of Dr. Sartain's attitudes himself, being a professional, he still has those sort of sensibilities of people who are obsessed with killers and what makes them kill. And uh, there's the whole sense of that. And even like how clued up a character like Dave is like, oh, okay, killing four people is not a big deal. It's like, yeah, because obviously we're in a true crime obsessed community where everyone knows about all these different killings over the years and everything. And the Michael Myers one does seem very small scale in compare, if you're comparing it to other crime stories. Yeah. And I, I think it's, um, also touches on the, the fact that Dana and Aaron are, are knobheads really yeah. is touching on the fact that, you know, it's sensationalism. Yeah. So they're making this podcast, they do investigative journalism this, that, and the other. But their obsession is, you know, the sensational side, the Michael Myers, Laurie side. Yeah. Not act the actual victims who died yeah, 40 yeah. years previously. Yeah. And I, I'm sure we're all very much guilty of it, where I could reel off 
you know, ten serial killers yeah. off the top of my head. But I couldn't tell you the names of any of their victims. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how society is, unfortunately. It's the sensationalism of it all that we get caught up in. Yeah. Um, rather than realising that these were real people and these, you know, these people that died had families, had people that loved them. Mm. We get caught up in the, oh my God, Zac Efron's playing Ted Bundy. Yeah. You know, and, and that's... I don't, I don't think it's particularly um, damning, this film, of that, mm. but it touches on it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, Dr. Sartain takes him to the courtyard where Aaron tries speaking to Michael, asking him if he ever thinks about that night in 1978 and if he ever thinks about the victims. He then shows him the mask that he wore in 1978, uh, which gains reactions from the other patients, but Michael still stands still and silent making Aaron get more and more impatient before screaming, say something, and we get the opening credits. Yeah, which is a fantastic cinematic moment. It really is. I mean, that's such a good start. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. The uh, logistics of it all aside, it makes for a great cinematic it, it really opening. Does. It really does. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, we see the guy with the umbrella in this opening sequence who we see again in the next film. We do, yes. Uh, I thought you said his name was Clancy. No, Lance, isn't it? Lance. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, so of course, iconic pumpkin opening credit sequence with a squished rotten pumpkin rising back up along with the fantastic new version of the main theme. I see this as symbolism for bringing the franchise back to life, breathing new life into it. Um, yes. Which yeah. is exactly what the film does. Yeah, which is their yeah, which is their intention. Yes. Which is insinuating that, and very rightfully, so um, that resurrection, Rob Zombie's Halloween <laughs> one and two, were mouldy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which they were very very mouldy. So we're taking to Haddonfield, Illinois. Aaron and Dana visit Laurie Strode, who is living in a secluded, very secure house. She buzzes them in after Dana offers her $3,000. And we are presented with the Queen herself with her best wig yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, her best wig. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's good. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis has iconic short hair. Yeah. So it's so weird to see her with that long hair. And especially, obviously... She's meant to look a bit unkept as well. Mm. She she really does just look like someone's granny, uh, <laughs> which I suppose is the intention. Um, I I thought okay, Aaron telling Dana that journalists don't pay for their interviews. I know, yeah. Um, again, he genuinely thinks that he is Pulitzer Prize winning journalist <laughs> supreme, and everyone wants to talk to him. <laughs> Even, you know, serial killers that have no knowledge of the outside world. <laughs> Everyone wants to talk to us. We don't need to pay for these interviews. Um, which is absolutely not the case because Laurie very um, quickly takes, <laughs> opens the gate the moment she hears about three grand. Yeah, gives them no information for it. Um, <laughs> Essentially, yeah, she's fuck all. They, they speak with her and, uh, about how Michael is a man who killed five people. Uh, as he says, he doesn't need to be understood, um, like they're trying to do on their podcast. 
Um, they discuss her rocky relationship with her family. Yeah. And uh, how does and she tells them there's nothing new to add to Michael Myers' story. It was like Andy Cohen and Erica Jane. <laughs> Okay, so you've been never, forced. never so compare. So you had your kids taken off, yeah? <laughs> never compare Jamie Lee Curtis to Erica Jane. I know how much you make on the show. <laughs> like, oh my God. You really went in hard on her. He did, and it just shows how much of a douche she is. Because, he, you know, she is just like, okay, I've let you into my house to talk about this shit, and you're bringing up my fucking family. And that was the thing. Serious. And their whole thing is that one monster has created another monster. Mm. So Michael Myers and what he did 40 years previous has had such an effect on Laurie Strode that she is now a monster. Yeah. Can't look after her kids, taken off her, can't hold down a relationship, drinks too much, lives out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by guns and weapons and shit like that. And, you know... That's where they're coming from. Not in a let's understand Laurie and help her kind of way, but mm. in a Dr. Phil, you know, yeah. let's... Um, exploit her. Exploit this as much as we can kind of way. And that, that's, I mean, that's what they're giving off because they're absolute pricks. Yeah, and it also, again, makes for a great scene because it provides you all of the exposition you need to get you up to date without it feeling too forced. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron tries convincing her to speak with Michael for their podcast and to free herself, and she kicks him out and takes her money. Like, seriously, you think Laurie showing up's going to make him talk? No, it's just, it's just going to piss him off even more. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, Laurie's daughter, Karen, her husband, Ray, and their daughter, Alison, are living in Haddonfield. Ray gets peanut butter on his penis while setting up a mouse trap. It's such a weird choice of words because he hasn't actually got his cock out, <laughs> so it just—it was just on his crotch. There's no need for him to say the word penis in front of his daughter. Um, also, did you notice? I don't know why she does it, but Karen is cooking on a frying pan. Um, she's trying to test the food, so she just kind of like shoves her hand in, and like burns her hand. <laughs> and then she gets the like oven glove or whatever it is. <laughs> Why? What is going on here? Why we were being introduced to Karen and she's just shoving her hand in a fucking frying pan? Yeah, she's like the absolute opposite of Laurie. <laughs> like she's an idiot. Whereas yeah, Laurie, she's not an idiot. But <laughs> well, she is in that scene. <laughs> yeah, but that's weird because she's not an idiot throughout the rest. Of it. She just shoves her fucking hand <laughs> in the frying pan. It's like you weirdo. Um, they're discussing how Lonnie. And his family are wild. You may recall Lani getting Todd to keep his ass away from the Myers house in the original. Yeah. The guy who bullied Tommy Doyle. Uh, Karen lies to Alison about inviting Laurie to dinner. So Alison wants that relationship there with her grandmother, but Karen is just trying to cut as many ties as possible because she thinks she's crazy. Yeah. And justifiably as well. Yeah. It, it is justifiable because this woman is dedicated the last 40 years of her life mm -hmm. to a threat that, by all accounts, will, it, something that will never happen. Yeah. You know, the guy's locked up. He's been locked up for 40 years. He ain't going to do anything, no. you know, as far as they're concerned. Because if he was going to do it, he would have done it a long time ago when he was a much younger man. Yeah. I mean, she was taken away from Laurie when she was, what, 12? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a strange relationship there um, because 
by all intents and purposes, Laurie is batshit. Yeah. She is. Mm-hmm. She's the kind of person you would talk about. Oh, there's that weird woman... Yeah. That, yeah. You know, don't, don't mess with her. She's got... 50 guns. Yeah, and of course, obviously, going straight from the end of the first film, this removes the brother and sister storyline as well. Thank so God. it's very much, you know, Laurie is just that random girl that Michael Myers saw going to his house and stalked. Yeah. You know? Um, Alison walks to school with her friends Vicky and Dave. They discuss how Laurie and Michael being siblings was made up to make people feel better. A line I was so glad was included in this film yeah. to avoid any confusion. Vicky thinks their family should just put up a Christmas tree and ignore Halloween and Dave doesn't see why it's a big deal because it's just a guy murdering a couple of people compared to modern standards. He then lights a pumpkin and makes it explode. So yeah, very and another really interesting line of dialogue. <laughs> it isn't a big deal. It, it, yeah, and it, it, it's not really. I mean, even looking at it as a film, um, what, how many victims were in the original film? Like, five including five? Judith and the random trucker, yeah? Yeah. That's low mm. compared to normal slasher films. Yeah. So where we went from there, that's quite low. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So he's kind of... Number one, he's talking about real life where, you know, internet has allowed us to, you know, see all these things and we're more aware of these great tragedies that mm. happen every single day. But he's also talking about horror cinema, where a body count of five just won't cut it anymore. No. <laughs> People need more, and well, they need more gore, they need more sensationalism. That's what gets asses in seats. Which is why it's so amusing that he is one of the victims when Michael Myers comes back and murders a lot more than five people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. PJ Souls teaches Frankel's interpretation. Fate. Fate, she does. <laughs> Whilst Laurie watches Alison from the window in the same style as Michael Myers in the original. One monster has created another. Uh-huh. Laurie gives Alison the podcaster's money and tells her to fuck college and go to Mexico. Yeah, which, which is a complete 180 yeah. from the Laurie Strode we knew 40 years previous. <laughs> yeah. Who had a meltdown because she forgot one of... Was it a science book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she forgot her science book. Laurie Strode from 1978 would absolutely have been looking forward to going to college. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, They discuss how Laurie can't forget the boogeyman and how she raised Karen to protect herself and doesn't feel bad for it. Uh, Where Alison just tries to encourage her to just get over it. Yeah. So instead she goes home and has a go on a shooting range for practice. She does. She does. She's got lots of mannequins around. A Loomis impersonator gives a very Loomis talking about Michael Myers speech. <laughs> yeah, very. It, a, a lot of this speech is literally like, okay, I can't do anything. He just needs to die now. Just kill him. Just kill him. I can't yeah, do anything. <laughs> can't do anything about it. Just kill him. Burn him. Send him to Mars. Just get rid of him. <laughs> Michael's being transferred on a prison bus. Laurie is parked nearby and watches with a gun in one hand and a bottle of whiskey in the other, and she breaks down and screams. There's a really nice backstory to the scene. Apparently, the whole cast and crew surrounding Jamie Lee Curtis were all wearing T-shirts saying, we are Laurie Strode. Okay. And it's and do you know what? This film, it takes something that, you know, obviously the original is a classic horror film. 
Laura Strode is the ultimate final girl, but here it turns her in, into a serious film character, way more than just a horror character, you know, and it touches on PTSD and trauma and how, you know, it, it, it has become an obsession for her. And just seeing him in that bus, not even coming face to face with him, you know, did that to her. Yeah. In that scene. It's it's really, it makes for some really emotionally powerful scenes. And I, I, I never thought that's what I'd say about a slasher film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, the idea that I get is, again, going back to him not being her brother. Mm. Um, is that she spent 40 years trying to make something of this yep. that maybe wasn't, and, and making it about herself, because it's easier than realising that actually it was never about her, and this was completely random, and, you know, it's a big fear for all of us, yes. is that our lives could be completely changed, ruined, ended by a complete stranger that's the i mean statistically it's the you know not the most likely thing to happen but it happens and that's what we're all scared of and that's you know what a lot of horror is based on yeah the the things that we can't control fate as they would say okay yeah and Jamie Lee Curtis provides one of my favourite performances of hers in this film as well. Like, she fully commits to it. And it shows even in, like, interviews and the mar- you know, all the marketing and everything in this film. She is fully committed to this role. Yeah. Which is so, again, like John Carpenter, so nice to see, considering she was like, oh, H2O and Resurrection, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. you know, she wanted Michael Myers dead in H2O, and then made them kill her in Resurrection. Because she'd had enough. So for her to come back and agree to tell this story and put so much effort into it, it's really great. It, it, but it's the thing that H2O um, touched on. Yeah. And then this has fully formed that I, that PTSD and um, giving her maybe, I say maybe, definitely something a little more juicy to get yeah. her acting chops around. Yeah, definitely. Karen, Alison, Ray and Cameron, Alison's boyfriend, are having post-graduation dinner. Ray tells Cameron about how he and his dad, uh, Lonnie Elam, used to trip balls in the woods. Yeah. And uh, Laurie... It doesn't sound as gay. Uh, That isn't as gay as it sounds. Wow. Laurie shows up, uh, steals Karen's wine, and starts breaking down at the table. Chug, chug, chug. Literally... That girl downs the wine and she starts giving everyone her problems. She downs that wine. Relatable material. Like her boyfriend's in the toilet and it's a Chardonnay. It's true. It's true. (laughs) She starts explaining that she saw Michael and walks out when Karen asks her to stop speaking about it. Alison goes after her and hugs her. And again, it's a really sad scene. Yeah. It it is very sad. But you can kind of understand where Karen's coming from. Imagine spending your whole life Constantly having to hear yeah. about Michael Myers. Constantly having to hear yeah. about it. And Laurie is doing absolutely nothing to try and get over it. No. Nothing at all except drink. Yeah, it's true. You know, you could see why Karen would be frustrated and be like, oh, do you know what, for fuck's sake, shut the fuck up about Michael Myers. Yeah. 
I've had enough. Like every single character that came into contact with Dr. Loomis for the <laughs> sequels, you'd be like, shut the fuck up. Get over it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, by chance, she was absolutely right. He is going to come back. Just not after her. Yeah. You know? Well, that's the, that's the thing. And that's, um, that's played more in Halloween Kills, yeah. isn't it? Karen explains to Alison how she learned how to shoot a gun and fight when she was nine. We get flashbacks to her childhood. And social services took her away when she was 12. And uh, she's just tried escaping the paranoia ever since then. A father and a son are driving to go camping while the son explains that he'd rather be doing dance class because it really hits him in the heart. Exactly. I think mean, it's terrible that he's been forced <laughs> to go hunting when all he just wants to do is dance. I know. Gay icon. Um, they, <laughs> they almost run over. He's, he is super camp as well. He's cool. not super yeah. camp. Camp. He, I'm assuming he's going through puberty because his voice... Yeah. <laughs> Um, all over the place. Yeah. Um, they almost run over some escaped Smith's Grove patients, uh, whilst the official version of I Wish I Had You All Alone, just the two of us, plays on the radio. Tune. Absolute tune. <laughs> the bus Michael was on has crashed. Uh, the dad goes to investigate. The son calls the police and then goes to investigate with a hunting rifle, and he accidentally shoots Dr. Sartain. He does. He runs back to the car and Michael appears and kills him by slamming his head against the window before snapping his neck. And what a fucking first kill for the film. Yeah. Like, oh, was that the first kill? Yeah. And yeah. That immediately lets you know Mike Myers does not give a shit. No. He is back out. He he's doesn't not care. He's a young killing. kid, but he's still a kid. He's still a kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that, that is officially the first time he's killed a kid on screen as well. Yeah, as yeah, well, I suppose so. Yeah, a deputy Frank Hawkins. Which was kind of weird because he really. I mean, he seemed like a kid, mm. and he looked like he was played by a kid. Yeah, you how? What would we say? Fourteen, fifteen. Oh, it's probably a bit. It's, uh, it's 12, 13, 13. Yeah, thir- yeah, twelve, thirteen. But the kids in the original film, what are meant to be seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So there's only yeah. five years it's between true. them. It's true. But when you look at them, and um, Jamie Lee Curtis was an actual teen. In yeah, she was actually seventeen. Foot. She was actually seventeen, but she does look older. You know, God bless her. But she does look older. Um, so you kind of compare the two. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, Nancy Loomis in the first one because I think she was <laughs> the oldest. It looks like there's fifteen years between them. <laughs> it's weird. Deputy Frank Harkins, uh, who arrested Michael in 1978, goes to investigate the bus, finds the corpse of the kid's dad, and he finds Dr. Sartain alive and asking if Michael escaped. Uh, yeah, police officer Hawkins is a cool police officer because he, he plays pinball. He does play pinball. <laughs> Whilst being heckled at by the people in yeah. the uh, gas station where he plays pinball. It's the weirdest. <laughs> it's, a, there's a, it's a strange delivery from the actress who's like, do you want a raspberry, like, um, ice, what would you call them? Squishy? Slushy. Slushy, slushy. Do you want a raspberry slushy or do you want a cherry slushy? <laughs> Her delivery's like really weird. So like the cops like, trying to put him off. This yeah. Pinball. And then he's like, no, I'll have a coffee, thanks. I didn't even, didn't even order a slushy. <laughs> um, that whole scene, by the way, is shot brilliantly with so much atmosphere 
and it is genuinely scary. The first, the first real good scare of the franchise since the original, easily. What scene? The the bus crash. Yeah. Sequence. Yeah. Uh, on the morning of October 31st, Aaron and Dana visit Judith Meyer's grave. They inaccurately describe how Michael killed her whilst we get flashbacks, and Michael watches them from a distance. And again, this touches on the whole true crime thing, and the fact that they're not actually very good podcasters, because they're saying what they think they know, when in reality, no one knows how she was killed. Well, no, not really. You know? Um, what about the footage? Where's that? <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they... It's probably more accurately described in Halloween Kills. Yeah, well, we'll get, <laughs> we'll to, get that. to that. Um, Hawkins tries to convince Sheriff Barker, who has the coolest cowboy hat you'll ever see, about the danger Michael poses after learning that he's escaped. Yes, Sheriff Barker says, what we're going to do, cancel Halloween. Probably should, really. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good start, you know, just keep everyone indoors. Locked up tight. Are you a fan of his cowboy hat? Yes. Good. Yeah. Michael follows Aaron... I don't know why, though. I mean, Haddonfield... Illinois is not the South, is it? No. Usually it's only Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels <laughs> where the sheriff has a, a cap. Uh, a cap. Like a cowboy hat on. So it's nice. Refreshing to see. Michael follows Aaron and Dana to a gas station uh, where Dana needs to go to a number two almost immediately. <laughs> you heard it right. She needs a number two. So, she walks like Ben Tramer to the toilet. <laughs> uh, so, this is something in films that I don't, don't get. So, she's having a number two. Um, quietly, thank the Lord. Uh, and Michael Myers joins we're, we're, her. We're getting there. Are we're we too there. early? Am I too early with that? Yeah, first of all, uh, Michael is killing the mechanic for his uh, overalls in the background while Stana asks where the Lou is and we see some visible... Do we see that? In the background, yeah, oh. if you look carefully. Um, we get some glasses. visible American confusion when she says the Lou. She's like, excuse me? <laughs> they have no idea what the Lou is. Visible American confusion. For her very British word. <laughs> Basically, anyone who listens to our podcast is American. Um, <laughs> Michael tries to let himself into... Yeah, this, here we go. So, Michael tries to let himself into Dana's cubicle whilst Aaron discovers the dead bodies and the receptionist guy who has now had his jaw broken on a desk. Yeah. So, you were saying? Oh, I was saying that Michael Myers then um, drops a load of teeth yeah. over the cubicle door, starts trying to get in... And unfortunately, poor whatever what's Dana. her name, Dana. Dana, does not have the time to wipe her ass or having to pull her knickers up. And it happens a lot in films, where you have scenes where people are going for shits in horror films and they get disturbed. Um, I'm thinking Sleepaway Camp, yeah, with the bees, yeah, um, Dam Enchiladas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, they can have, like, shitty asses. It's true. <laughs> they're being killed. It's true. Just the little aspects that, uh, <laughs> to add to the horror of the scene. <laughs> like, we don't know if she's started, though. We don't hear her. Uh, excuse me, almost immediately? Almost immediately, Almost yeah. immediately. But Michael Myers walked in almost immediately. Nah, she had time for, yeah, no, she had time to take Drop and the go. Pool. Yeah. We were to drop and go. <laughs> well... 
Drop and die. Drop and die. Aaron comes in and tries to beat Michael with a crowbar when Michael kills him by bashing his face into the wall and the cubicle doors before killing Dana by choking her to death. Yeah, Aaron's death is fucking graphic and deserved. Would you, you agree? Well, no, it's a question for you and, and for the, the listeners. If you were in Dana's situation, yeah. would you wipe before you got up? Fuck no. No? No, I'm about to be murdered. Go. I'll sort that out later. <laughs> so quick, quick, quick wipe. <laughs> There's no time. Up. No, I suppose He was not. dragging her for fuck's sake. Yeah, but no, imagine she, the she over the floor. stood up at that point. <laughs> I know, yeah, imagine if I need this metallic, just skiddy Jesus Christ. Michael recovers his mask from the podcaster's car because he needed something to get rid of that smell. And, uh... Question. <laughs> did he just want his mask back? Or did he want to kill them? Oh, he's going to stop a if they, machine. Yeah, but he went out of his way yeah. to find them. That's true, that's true. So do you think he just wanted that mask I think back? he did, because he was stalking them at Judith's grave, weren't he? Yeah, because so, if he didn't want the mask, do you think he would have went, oh, those annoying pricks are gone now? I mean, he probably would have just killed Aaron for being annoying, so... Yeah, but, but that's not how Michael Myers works, essentially. No. It's just some of the people he kills happen to be annoying. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so I think that was very much the case. Mm. And we get to see him put it on in slow motion in what is a great scene. Yeah, it needs a good clean, though. Yeah, they, the mask her. in this film looks fantastic because they aged it. And they, they made it look how it would look if he'd just left it lying around for 40 years. Yeah. Laurie also learns of Michael's escape. And... Uh, Oh, have I just skipped a bit in my I notes? S- I think you have. No, I haven't. Oh. Laurie learns of Michael's escape and attempts to warn Karen by breaking into her house and giving her advice on her lack of a security system. Oh, yeah. Um, but Karen dismisses her concerns, tells her the world is full of love and urges her to move on with her life and get help before she kicks her out. Bit naive, yeah. Karen. Very, very naive. She literally said the world is not a dark and evil place. It is full of love and understanding. Which She's is a bit of a cheese bag. I love Judy Grish. She's a bit of a cheese bag, isn't she? It's ironic coming from a Karen. Um, <laughs> not this Karen, but that's ironic coming from a Karen. Um, but very, very naive. But she's been pulled so hard mm. in one direction by Laurie that she's become resentful. Yeah. And she's become so resentful that she's pushed herself so far in the other direction mm-hmm. that she has become naive. Yeah. She has. Uh, I love Judy Greer and she absolutely, she is definitely the epitome of a cool mum, but like bordering on too cheesy. I like, okay, how old is, obviously her husband is much older. Yeah. Because he like went to school with Lonnie. Yeah. And you know, Lonnie was, what, 10? When, you know, Laurie, yeah, Laurie yeah. was 7. So they're probably closer in age, Laurie and um, her husband. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Ray? Ray? Ray. But how old is Karen meant to be? I don't know. Because she's she's got to be less than 40. Yeah. She's got to be younger than 40. But she has a 17-year-old daughter herself. Depends when Laurie had her. So, I mean, obviously, 
Laura's going for a tough time, 1978. Could have been as early as 1979. Yeah, yeah, 1979, which would have made her... 39. 39. Yeah, which is about right. And yeah. To have a 17-year-old daughter is about right. I mean, Judy Greer has aged wonderfully. Oh, she has. And she certainly doesn't look that old. Uh, well, Vin, um, the, the best sequence in in this film and one of the best sequences throughout the whole franchise Michael Myers returns home to Haddonfield the score starts playing um, kids chant the Halloween chant from the start of the first film whilst two kids dressed as pirates with a boombox bump into Michael Michael casually just goes into a random garage grabs a hammer walks into a, the house attached to it Beats an old lady to death with it, and she is very much styled the exact same way as the old lady from the start of Halloween 2. Yeah, why was that not? I don't know why that wasn't in the thing That's like yet, the biggest one. Absolutely the same old lady, and she's even cutting up ham. She's cutting up ham. You know, There's no ham in this film, actually. No. It's not a reference to Donald Pleasance's performance <laughs> in Halloween 2. So he beats her to death with the hammer. We get to see the aftermath. Um, he approaches a baby, voiced by Jamie Lee Curtis. And walks outside. And, and you know what? In the cinema, we'd already seen him kill a kid. I was like, fuck. He's actually going to kill this baby. Yeah. I, I genuinely thought he was going to. But he walks straight past the baby. Goes outside. Marcus and Vanessa, a couple dressed as doctor and nurse, are heading out to a party. But Marcus forgot his stethoscope. The stethoscope Marcus return in Halloween Kills. I know, yeah. And Vanessa... Uh, Michael then watches... This is the only clip they're in in this film, it isn't is, it? Yeah. yeah. Michael watches a woman on the phone through her window. Heads inside, we see a shadow on the alleyway through her window. There's a fantastic moment before where he peers through the yeah. window and you can see his reflection yeah. in the window. And then he stabs her through the fucking neck, like straight through. Yeah. Honestly to God, this sequence is a big part of the reason this film got a 10 out of 10 from me. It is... Horror perfection, like all in one shot. One of the greatest scores of all time playing over the top of it, and Michael Myers just looking absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah, but it's pure Halloween. Yeah, it's you know not just the first film, but the franchise. Yeah, and that's his return to Haddonfield. Yeah, like it. He just he doesn't give a shit. He's outside. Doesn't give a shit who could see him, like in the original. And then just goes about his business, just does what he wants. The street is very busy for trick yeah, yeah. Very, very busy. Like, and, and we don't take it as seriously over here in the UK, but that'd be fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any more to say about that sequence? It's probably why the woman's on the phone. It's, like, it's <laughs> fucking trick or treat. Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's constantly at my fucking door. Fuck off, you little dweebs. No, well, she doesn't have to worry about it anymore, does she? She's fucking dead. She's got a massive knife through her neck. <laughs> Later at night, Alison Cameron, dressed as Bonnie and Clyde, and their friend Oscar, dressed as a very cheap-looking devil. Okay, they're be- dressed as Bonnie and Clyde. Gender swap. But, yeah, um, they are genderous construct, and yeah. they're tearing it apart. They do. <laughs> do you know how is being tore apart in this scene? Um, the I Don't Care by Charlie XCX and I Colour Pop. <laughs> <laughs> you got 10 million budget, guys. 
put through the fucking ringer, come out, and they've just pieced it together. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fake song. It's a fake song for the film specifically. They must have desperately wanted to use I Don't Care by Iconic Pop and Charlie XCX to the point that they use the music but with different lyrics by someone else. But like really close the lyrics are to the lyrics (laughs) of the original. It's like, seriously, could you not afford the song? What's going on here? Um, Vicky is babysitting a kid called Julian and watching Repo Man. Um, Julian is an absolute scene stealer and I hope he gets a bigger role in Halloween Ends. Yeah, um, I usually don't like precocious kids in films, but Julian and uh, the actor who plays him, hilarious. Yes. Him and his nasty ass toenails. Him and Vicky, their their back and forth is so entertaining to watch. Yeah, it is actually funny. Um, he calls her out on wanting to smoke weed with her friends. She threatens to tell his mum about his browsing history if he tells his mum about her smoking weed. And he tells her that a decent babysitter would read him a bedtime story so he wouldn't have to be clipping his nasty-ass toenails out of boredom. <laughs> hey, Repo Man's on the TV. And Repo Man's on the TV. <laughs> Alison finds Cameron cheating on her by kissing a girl called Kim in a shitty-looking tiger costume. Oh, uh, she's a Megan Fox wannabe. In a shitty Tony the Tiger outfit. She looks awful and she's nothing compared to Alison. No. Um, also, no. Um, she's, she's a beautiful girl. And <laughs> <laughs> cheap bitch. Cheap bitch. Um, but uh, probably she also should have mentioned before now, because um, I've mentioned the other Strode's performances, Andy Matichek is fantastic in both of these films. Uh, considering she's such an unknown actress and... This is quite a big role, and she's so good. She's so likeable. Yeah, she does well. She really does. She confronts Cameron about cheating on her, and he acts like a twat and throws her phone in a cheese dip, so she leaves him, and Oscar walks out with her. Well, he does a bit of gaslighting, doesn't he? He does. says, it's not a big deal. I don't know why you're making a big deal of it. Blah, 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 blah. Throws her phone in the dip, and, um... Yeah, I'm surprised that, you know, tearing gender constructs apart Made him so popular with the ladies. He I know, seemed yeah. to be really popular with the ladies. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Good. Uh, good. It's a good sign. Yeah. Just what, not, don't, but just don't cheat on your girlfriend. <laughs> no, it's a, a good sign that tearing gender constructs apart is more accepted. It's true. Uh, Dave shows up uh, to Julian's house to see Vicky with a pumpkin, a horse head and some weed. He got himself a tattoo to celebrate tonight being the night. Night of what, though? Losing his virginity. But she only says he'll get a dry hump. Yeah. So he was very premature with that tattoo. <laughs> well, she used the words, I will dry fuck, so... Let's not get into that, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, you... <laughs> but, yeah, it's still a, a weird one to get tattooed on, yeah? Julian tells... <laughs> it makes for a great scene coming up. Julian tells Vicky and Dave that he saw the boogeyman standing outside of his door and suggests that they send Dave first to investigate. Yeah. Vicky plays a prank on him. Dave smokes some weed outside and messes around on Julian's parents' motorbike. Yeah, he smokes some weed outside. One thing I did notice is that the washing line is full of sheets. Yes. Now, in Haddonfield, 
Do they only dry sheets? Of course they do. It's the only thing that ever goes on the washing. It's true. You haven't seen a pair of knickers, you haven't seen a pair of jeans, not even a t-shirt. Just sheets. Not as easy. all anyone ever dries. It's not as easy for Michael to hide behind. No, that's very true. Now, in a, in a great scene that is that was absolutely ruined by the trailer, and I was so annoyed they ruined this because this would have been the best scare if you didn't know what was coming. Yeah. It is a fucking great scene. Vicky talks Julian into bed, and he asks her to close the closet door. She tries to, but something's in the way. That fucking something is Michael fucking Myers, who is just standing there behind his door and slashes her like as soon as she opens it. Yeah. He's really great scene. He's doing this wonderful teleporting thing where he's a large guy, but he's very stealthy, apparently. <laughs> Can get into these cupboards without anyone noticing. Um, but it's a great scene, and it's the most memorable part from the trailer. Yeah. Um, but it was completely ruined by the trailer. We knew it was coming. Uh, poor Vicky, we barely knew you. Yeah, but she's built to be such a likeable character. You know, the interaction between her and Julian. Um... He, she sacrifices herself to protect Julian. Michael drags her into the room and stabs her to death whilst Julian runs away. Mm-hmm. Dave prepares to go after Michael with a knife, and that's the last we see of him. Yeah, a massive knife. Yeah. Like everyone in America got these huge <laughs> knives. Um, Deputy Hawkins... It was, like, absolutely massive. No, it is. As big it as is. my arm. Deputy Hawkins and Laurie overhear the incident on the radio and go over to the house whilst kids are trick-or-treating outside with silver shamrock masks. Yeah. Are they love... Uh, in Halloween and Halloween Kills, they fucking love those silver shamrock masks. Uh, it's a sign that that storyline is actually canon, so you never know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't want to say this, but rumour is Halloween Ends is all about Stonehenge. Please, I hope so. They bring Stonehenge into Haddonfield... To try and uh, combat eat the boogeyman. We'd better see Tom Atkins and Halloween ends. <laughs> Hawkins finds Vicky's corpse with a sheet over her head and holes cut out for eyes. Reminiscent of a certain ghost bob. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Laurie sees Michael coming face... Another scene room by the fucking trailer. Coming face to face with him for the first time in 40 years through a mirror. She shoots his reflection before shooting him in the shoulder before he flees. Mmm... She sees Michael in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. One monster has created another. Uh-huh. Is it his reflection or her reflection? Exactly. They both see each other in, in the reflection, don't they? They, they do. kind of make eye contact. Um, but very... very I, lo- I love that shot. Yeah. And that's... him in the mirror. And that is actually Nick Castle playing him in that scene as well. Why didn't Nick Castle do the whole film? Because it's very old now, Chris. Okay. <laughs> well, he jumping out of place. He, he does a lot of heavy lifting in his films, and suppose that's very true. <laughs> um, Hawkins discovers Dave's corpse pinned to. Also, apologies to Nick Castle. You're not that old. Sorry. Um... <laughs> yeah, he wasn't that old. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't play him. Um, Hawkins discovers. He's probably as old as when he's probably as old as Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay, about fucking five hundred people played him in the original. Nick Castle just got the credit. <laughs> uh, well, who played him when the mask came off and everyone was like oh my god he's hideous and like Tony, out, Tony Moran it turned out that it was just his normal face <laughs> including you by the way I did <laughs> okay Hawkins discovers Dave's corpse pinned to the wall with a knife 
revealing his tattoo with a date on it, no. which is now obviously the date he died. Yeah. Dr. Sartain persuades Sheriff Barker to allow him to help in the hunt for Michael. Laurie is introduced to Dr. Sartain and immediately calls him the new Loomis. Say, say what we're all thinking, girl. Dr. Sartain... You would think that wasn't the first time they met. If, if she was so obsessed with Michael... Yeah. And he was the new Loomis. You think they may have, like, spoken? Well, I don't think she wanted anyone to know if she was watching the hospital. Yeah, I suppose so. Dr. Sartain asks her if she knew that Hawkins arrested Michael and stopped Loomis from killing him. Well, of course she knows that. There's Mm. something uh, going on there. She knows him intimately. And her response was, do you know that I pray every night that he would escape so that I could kill him? Yes. And even Hawkins like, why the fuck yeah, are you He was that? like, that was a dumb thing to pray for. And he's got a point. Yes. More people have died so far than in 40 years before. Yeah. And if this is what she prayed for, and this is her, you know, prayer come true because of her vendetta, she has caused more death. That's true. And destruction. Just so that she can get what she perceives to be her revenge yeah. on Michael. And this is the thing. And, and Laurie in the original film is the most likable character. Mm. But there are moments in this film where you're not actually on her side. Mm. Um, I mean, ultimately you are. Yeah. And you want to see her kill Michael. Yeah. But shit like that, it was like, I prayed he would escape. Well, bitch, he's just killed God knows how many people. Mm. Because he escaped. Yeah. Because you got your wish. Now, she's not the cause of it, but it's what she wanted, which is quite selfish, really. Yeah. Hawkins tells Sartain that he wants Michael dead, but Sartain insists that he is not to be harmed and goes on about how fascinated he is by what Michael feels when he kills. Red, first warning signs. Um, Laurie and the police arrive to collect Ray and Karen, who is now wearing a Christmas cardigan. And it's kind of, it's kind of weird because obviously, as we've just said, all these people have died, but you can see a certain amount of satisfaction there with Laurie that this has happened and that she's been proven right. It's like all those people had to die for you to be proven right. So it it really gives you some moral questions with, with supporting her. It really does. It does. Um, meanwhile, on the walk home from the party, Oscar tries it on with Alison. Uh, she tells him about Oscar himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. She tells him about himself and leaves him alone in Mr. Alrod's backyard. Mr. Alrod, of course, being a dirty old man, he used to live next door to Laurie. Yeah, who's probably dead, so I'm assuming it's his <laughs> son. Um, he blames the whole thing on alcohol, sexy women feeding him guacamole. Yeah. Which is a piece of shit. Yeah, he kind of is actually. To be fair, he, he really him and him and Cameron are fucking both terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Michael shows up and in a really great scene gets closer and closer to Oscar when the motion sensor goes on and off, and eventually impales him on Mister Alrod's gate. Yeah. Um, the score in this scene is my favorite bit of music from the film. It actually sounds not too dissimilar to Suspiria, like the little twinkly piano with mm. the guitar added into it. It sounds fucking great. It, it genuinely sounds like something Goblin would do. It's really, really good. Yeah, no, it is. Um, Alison goes back, finds Oscar's yes. body. 
Now, luckily for her, she's dressed as Clyde and not Bonnie. <laughs> so she's more than capable of running away. Uh, if she was in a mini skirt, it would have been a bit more difficult, yeah. wouldn't it? But she's, she's got her trousers on. And another reference to the film that also wasn't included in the little references section. Starts knocking on people's doors to get help, like Laurie yes. in the original. The scene is very much copying that scene. And someone answers the door! Actually, help her. <laughs> it's, it's, we love to see it. Laurie takes Ray and Karen into an underground bunker so they can get their weapons ready. And Laurie's like, he's waited for this night, he's waited for me, and I've waited for him. Not the truth. No. That's not the it case. It may not be the case. Um, so, the, Laurie, this is really annoying me, and I apologise because I should have Googled it beforehand. What is that thing in the middle of the kitchen called? Counter. Kitchen counter. Do we call it a counter? Yeah. Do we call it a counter? We don't have them here in, in the UK. It's really. a kitchen counter. But it's in the middle of the room. Yeah. It's its own sort of thing in the middle mm-hmm. of the room. Yes. So, so we're going to say... breakfast ca- bar? Mm, the same it. sort of we're thing. We're going to say counter. We'll say counter if you understand what we mean and it has a different <laughs> name then pretend we're saying that name when we say counter. But there's this thing in the middle of the room and it moves. And yeah. that's the basement. And Ray says, what's this? You know, not yeah. ever having been to lorries and understanding what's going on. And Karen says, my childhood. Mm-hmm. Again, this is another... Karen is another character who cannot get over something. Yeah. She cannot get over it. Justifiably... Mm-hmm. Because she had a fucked up childhood yeah. because of Laurie, but she cannot get over it. She mentions this yeah. as much as Laurie mentions Michael. Yeah, so she's just as traumatised by our upbringing as Laurie is by Michael attacking her. Exactly. And it's not, it's actually not fair on Karen. No. One monster has created another. <laughs> and this is, but this is what is playing out throughout yeah. the whole film. Yeah. Is that in the back of your mind, you're like, shit, maybe Laurie is a monster. This is the theme of the whole new trilogy because, yeah. let's face it, it's going to end with someone killing Michael Myers, isn't it? Yeah. So, it's going to end with someone murdering someone. Yeah. And the thing is, we are always on Laurie's side. Yeah. And, you know, I've never had to deal with PTSD. So I can't turn around and say, oh, just get over it, you mm-hmm. stupid woman. But her behaviour isn't always morally correct. No. And I think that's a very interesting aspect of this film. Yeah. Hawkins spots Michael, runs him over and attempts to shoot him, but Sartain stabs him in the neck and leaves him for dead. And it is revealed that he orchestrated Michael's escape in order to be able to study him in the wild. So he puts on Michael's mask, puts Michael in the back of the police car of Allison, uh, and leaves his mask with him. Poor Allison, she's out of the frying pan and into the yeah. fire and into the fucking volcano. This is this twist divided fans, and I wasn't sure what I thought about it at first. I didn't mind it. I didn't hate it. I didn't think it ruined the film in any way whatsoever. But I think what happens in Halloween Kills and how it's brought into that, I think completely justifies this twist and makes it a lot better. Yeah, and Sartain kind of says himself that his he's kind of obsessed with Michael Myers, but he's obsessed with 
the what it feels like mm. to kill someone and how Michael Myers felt yeah. when he killed someone. And after he stabs Hawkins in the neck and we're led to believe and he believes that Hawkins is dead. Mm-hmm. He comes back in the sequel, spoiler alert. Um, he says, so that's what it feels like. Yeah. So it, it's it's not just his obsession with Michael, mm. but also the fact that he's obsessed with the feeling of killing. Yeah. Whereas Loomis was just really fucking obsessed with Michael yeah. Myers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it gets to the point where you got to ask yourself, is this the point Loomis would have got to if he, they carried on using the character in the films? Because he wasn't too far from it in part five, was he? No, it wasn't. Which is, I'm worrying, I'm glad that they had that bit earlier in the film mm. where Loomis just was like, oh, just fuck it. You know, yeah. we're never going to get anything from him. We're never going to get any information from him. He's just better off dead. Yeah. Just kill him, burn him. I'll do it myself if I have to. Yeah. Just get rid of him. Yeah, definitely. Which, you know... Again, people should, probably should have listened to Loomis. Yeah. Because it would have saved a lot of people. Sartain tells Alison that he wants to bring Michael and Laurie together for a reunion because he thinks their pursuit of each other is what keeps them alive. He's not fuck. Well, he's not wrong with one of them, which is crazy because the one he's on about, the one he's not wrong about, is the victim. Yeah. It's Laurie. She, Michael Myers is what keeps her alive. Waiting for him to return. Sartain, he suggests that Michael's pursuit of Laurie, um, Michael being the predator, and Laurie's fear of Michael, which is the fear of becoming the prey, is what keeps them both alive. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very interesting. because It's incorrect, mm-hmm. but that's what Sartain believes. Yeah. And ultimately, that is what brings them together. Yeah. Because of this one weird, crazy man. Yeah. And it's the fact that, you know, Laurie survived. And it's not often, you know, within real life true crime that you hear of something like that. So I think the fact that she survived with the podcasters and with Dr. Sartain, it's like this baffling thing where she's just as iconic as the killer. Yeah. Because of her story. Yeah. And he can't understand that. He can't understand why that could just be a random person. Yeah. And Laurie can't understand that either. No. no. So she tries to bring meaning to yeah. it. And tries, you know, she's got main character syndrome. Yeah. Where she thinks it's all about her. Mm-hmm. Because it justifies what happened to her. Yeah. But ultimately, it was completely wrong. He, you know, he just happened to have chosen her and her friends that evening yeah. to kill. Yeah. Because they happened to be there. That's true. Two cops discuss a bon May sandwich whilst watching Laurie's house. Yeah, just talking shit. The other one's like, oh, I have a brownie. <laughs> this is a little boring, this scene, I have to admit. I was going, oh, sure. Alison pretends that Michael spoke to her so she could get Sartain to stop the car. It works. Michael wakes up Breaks out of the car, drags Sartain out, and kills him by crushing his head with one stomp. Uh, yeah. That was <laughs> quite a sh- great. It shocked me, because this is quite a bloody film. Yeah. It wasn't like head stomping bloody. <laughs> no. Oh my god. 
Um, the Bon Me sandwich cops approach Sartain's corpse whilst Michael watches them and Alison escapes into the woods. Yeah, so Sartain's death is playing into the whole, you know, Michael is just a killer. Pure yeah. evil. Yeah. Um, he's known Sartain for years, seen his face. Sartain's probably chatted loads of shit to him for hours on end for, you know, potentially decades. Mm-hmm. He don't give a shit. No. He literally doesn't give a shit. He's just like, no, put this. Yeah. You know. And it's great that Sartain's last words are say something, like uh, the podcaster from early in the film. Yeah. And Michael is obviously so pissed off hearing that, so he's like, fuck it. Michael has killed the bomb me cops, turned one of their heads into a pumpkin with a light inside of it. Oh, yeah. He then drives the dead officer's car to Laurie's house. That's uh, very slasher film. It is. It is. It is. Very slasher film. Um, Ray goes outside to greet who he believes are the officers and Michael strangles him to death. Yeah. So you always get the impression for the whole film that Ray isn't taking it very seriously. Mm -hmm. And he he was a little cautious, but probably not as cautious as he should have been yeah. before going to the police car and, you know, it ends up in him being killed. Michael smashes through the glass on Laurie's front door, tries to strangle her, and she shoots his two fingers off. Two of his fingers off. Yes. That's a great scene. It really is. And Laurie manages to get Karen to safety before she engages in a showdown with Michael, who has now entered the house. Yeah, so Laurie is on the hunt for Michael in the house. Um, he's not in the wardrobe. Wardrobe's very similar to the original it film. Is. Uh, I thought that was a little nod there. Laurie meticulously checks each room and secures them with shutters. Yeah. Um... Which was quite cool imagery, actually. It was. She's like, yeah. and the shit has slammed down. Um, Laurie's... I get... Laurie's shaky. Mm -hmm. She's scared. Even though she's been waiting 40 years for this. Yeah. And she's meticulously planned and prepared herself and ruined her relationships mm -hmm. and pretty much her life for this very moment. Yeah. She's still that scared 17-year-old from 40 years previous. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was a good touch. I thought that was a great touch. Yeah. She, she isn't fucking Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. She's not, you know, she's not um, completely impervious to fear. You know, she's still human. Yeah. And I thought that was a good touch. I mean, well, I'm definitely. assuming Jamie Curtis did that because she's an actress. Um, but I like that. Alison trips over in the woods, finds Laurie's target practice mannequins and screams for help. Oh, that was a little random. <laughs> I was like, just mannequins, huh? I'm sure you've seen it before. Um, Laurie and Michael have a fight, and uh, she, after she finds Ray's corpse in a closet, uh, before Michael stabs her and pushes her over a balcony. Alison arrives at the house. When Michael goes to check Laurie's body, he finds it missing. <gasps> In a st pretty much uh, straight shot stolen yeah. from the original film. Uh -huh. Great. I say stolen, but you know what I mean. Michael heads towards the basement and breaks off the kitchen counter that's covering it. Karen grabs her gun from when she was younger and in an absolute yas queen moment, she pretends to cry, shoots Michael in the neck after saying gotcha. Her yes. little signature thing that she does. She does, she does like doing that. Um, but yeah, it's a great little... Um, 
moment yeah. where we I thought I was like oh my god Karen's dead Karen's yeah, dead what a wimp she can't do it what a <laughs> wimp you know um, she's still naive but no yeah she, uh, she gets him good Laurie suddenly reappears and says happy Halloween Michael and attacks him trapping him inside the basement safe room with Karen and Alison's help he grabs Karen's leg but Alison stabs him in the shoulder before Karen kicks him in the face and tells Alison it's not a cage, baby. It's a trap. <gasps> oh, my God. And it, it, the scene is just so fucking empowering. It is slaying with the strodes. It, and it was just giving me everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, three strong women working yeah. together to uh, overcome an evil man. And this at the House of Blaze. <laughs> it's like, there's it's definitely like a, a bombshell, isn't it? There's definitely a Me Too... Um, 2018. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it absolutely is. It yeah. really is. Um, the trio's at the house of Blaze, and Laurie says goodbye to Michael before she begins to faint and lets her daughter and granddaughter quickly hitchhike a passerby vehicle to take her to the hospital. A final shot of the burning basement is shown with Michael nowhere in sight, and in a post-credit scene, after a country version of "I Wish I Had You All Alone" plays, Michael's breathing is heard, indicating that he survived. <gasps> Dun, now that we've got a dun, sequel, but if not, dun, then it would have just been a little... Oh, this breather at the end. Oh. Yeah. That's Halloween 2018. That is Halloween 2018. I, I really, I love it so much. It's the second best film in the franchise, in my eyes. Gives me absolutely everything I want. Fucking badass women. A great storyline. A serious storyline. Great messages in there and themes. Uh, homages to the rest of the franchise, Michael Myers, that's the most brutal. Just absolutely everything you could want from a Halloween film is in there. Yeah, it's like I said to you, um, Halloween 1978 wouldn't be marketable now. No. It wouldn't work, people wouldn't go to see it. It's a different kind of film. And I think this Halloween 2018 perfectly takes what was already there and makes it modern. And yeah. I think it works really well. Whilst still being true to what makes a Halloween film. Absolutely. So getting into our little awards section that we have had throughout each of these films. That I constantly forget about. So I just kind of copy going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Best kill. I've got Sartain's headstone. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah, no, that's obvious. Yeah, that's very true. One good scare. Runner up, knife through the neck. Knife, through, yeah. Well, yeah. One good scare. I've actually got Michael's one shot returns to Haddonfield. Yeah, that was such a good scene. So Halloween, loved it. Most likable character. I've got Laurie, but really could be any of the Strodes. Yeah, yeah. I think the three Strode women are the most likable as a unit. Um, analysing the film and looking at Laurie's behaviour, um, she's still a likeable character if she doesn't always make the right mm -hmm. decisions. Most unlikable character, I have joint place Cameron and Oscar. Oh, yes. Toxic men. Yes. Yes. Also, Michael in this film. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I yeah. actually think Michael is a fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Leave people alone. <laughs> film 
Where also, my... um, also Aaron was a prick. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few rumors there. Yeah. But a film where Michael is an even bigger arsehole to everyone. Halloween Kills. 2021. 2021. Newest film we've discussed on the podcast. No. Christmas on the Square? (sighs) Seriously. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yes. We watched Christmas on the Square and decided whilst watching it we were going to cover it. And covered it a week later. Well, you're begging me to watch it again this year. That is a Christmas tradition now. So Halloween Kills, 2021, just a few weeks back. Yeah. Directed by David Gordon Green again. Budget of 20 million this time, an extra 10 on top. And as we speak, it has currently made $64.4 million at the box office. During, you know, COVID times and the fact that it's gone straight to Peacock as well as the cinemas, that is fucking impressive. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've had people who don't watch... Halloween films, uh, Halloween films, horror films, mm. and haven't actually watched Halloween 2018, messaging me and saying, I'm watching Halloween Kills, but it's not making 100% of sense because I haven't seen Halloween 2018. If this film has been marketed so yeah. well that that number is just going to grow exponentially. It really is. You know, you mentioned those films where you could mention it to anyone, like you could mention it to your mum or whatever, and they'll know what it is. I'm sure your mum will even know this exists. She, like, everyone... definitely been a trailer online. Yeah, uh, on, on, like, TV. on TV. Jamie Lee Curtis will have been on Graham Norton as well. Um, Don't... No, because we need to watch that if she has. I, I assume she has been. Oh, okay, we need to find that out, cause... Yeah, we need to watch But yeah, this movie. this film has been marketed to death. Yeah. And I'm so glad. Before we get into the trivia, before we get into the film, let's talk a bit about the divisive reaction from fans. As I said earlier, you know, I'm not judging anyone. You don't like this film. I'm actually sad for you that you had to sit through it and didn't enjoy it. But what the fuck were you expecting? That's the big question here. What the fuck did you want from this film? Please let us know on social media. Yeah, I think <laughs> this, because in, in many ways Halloween 2018 was also quite a character study of Laurie Strode. Yeah. That it gave a lot of people who need more from their horror films that thing to look at. Yeah. That character, that um, different angle yeah. to look at. We are in a time which, you know, has been a great thing. We're in a time where a lot of horror films are coming out. Horror is a big boom again. Mm. And there's a big sort of sophisticated horror coming out as well. And doing really well at the box office. Um, It's the go-to, but it's really the one for me that started it. Get Out. Yeah. It was a horror film. Unapologetically horror that was so well made and really had something to say that really took the subject matter seriously that it won an Oscar. It, it was at the Oscars, the Academy Awards, nominated, mm-hmm. won. That is the one. And it's a, a style of sophisticated horror or, I hate to say, a highbrow horror Yeah, that has then led to hereditary... Midsummer, you know, these A24 yeah. horror films that are 
more sophisticated than what came before it. Yeah. And I think people expect more from horror now. And 2018 was well received because it was, it was a character study of Laurie Strode. It had a wonderful central performance of a nuanced character. Halloween Kills is, at the heart of it, a traditional slasher film. Yeah. It's a traditional horror film and it goes big on everything. Yeah. And it doesn't... It. I think it has something to say. Oh, it definitely does. I think it yeah. has something to say just on a different level to what we've been seeing recently. It has a lot to say and the themes and the messages from 2018 are still very much in place. Like I said, I think they're going to be there for the entire trilogy. But... Like you said, everything in this film is on speed. Like, even the messages, like, even the social commentary is so camp in in its delivery and so cheesy that it's just... It takes you back to the 80s, but it is literally in your face. Everything in this film, there's not a single bit of subtlety. This is fucking full-on, in-your-face slasher film. And that's why it works. You know, it's not not in the same way that Rob Zombie's films did it, where everything was excessive, including the swearing and the sexuality and then the sexual assault and everything. You know, it doesn't include anything unnecessary. Everything that's in this film is completely necessary to be there for a slasher film. You've got your humour, you've got your cheesy dialogue, you've got your inventive kills, some great performances. You know, it's all there. It's all there. Everything you want is all there. But in truckloads. Yeah. The... the it's turned up to 11. Yeah. Um, and it's very much a traditional horror film. And it's called Halloween Kills. Yeah. One of the biggest complaints I've seen um, about this film is everyone who's like, oh, there's too many deaths. Oh, Michael's a killing machine. Oh, there's too much gore. What the fuck did you want? But, but if that's not what you're used to with horror now... If you're used to that highbrow horror, then this is going to feel cheap. But then you still have to keep in the back of your mind, this is still a Halloween film. This is still a slasher film. And we have had a a bit of a slasher resurgence with, you know, Freaky, Happy Death Day, Scream, you know. Yeah, but um, they are high camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are high camp films. And not everyone has appreciated those films mm. either. Um, Freaky, I think... But, I mean, not Scream, Scream hasn't been released yet. But. Yeah, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Freaky has been quite decisive, uh, divisive, yeah. not decisive, yeah. divisive uh, within the horror community. Because, I mean, if it's not your bag, it's not yeah, your yeah, bag. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, Halloween Kills is very much removed from Halloween 1978. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, you know, traditionally a Halloween film, mm. but it's not. It's, I think, more like a Friday the 13th oh, film yeah, yeah, definitely. in many aspects, definitely. which I love and mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. But I can understand why some people were like, mm, that's not my bag. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you said, though, about how well marketed it was, I think there's genuinely a lot of people watching this film who have never seen another Halloween film. It's the You know, it's, it's been released 
Yeah. Around Halloween time. It's Halloween's in the title. Those girls on the back road and when we went to saw it messing around the phones, they clearly had no interest in the franchise. You know, they're like, let's just go watch a uh, let's go watch a horror film at Halloween. Exactly, and and this thing, is the big one. Let's go watch it. And a lot of the reviews will come from people like that who who don't know what to expect, and it's just, they're just realizing it's not their thing. Yeah. Um, but, but whilst all these people are not liking it, the money's still going in David Gordon Green and Jamie Lee Curtis's pockets. So yeah. it's still being successful. It's still guaranteed. Halloween Ends isn't going to be scrapped anytime soon. You know, it's all still guaranteed. It's all still in place. It's all still doing well, which is great. It's great to see a slasher film doing well at a box office in 2021. Yeah, it really is. Um, But again, you know, Guys, come on! In in the title, it's it's called Halloween Kills. Yeah. To the ones that weren't expecting a lot of kills, it's in the fucking title. But it's it's quite different to the twenty eighteen as well. Oh yeah. You know. But the the tone is still in place. But it's like I said, it's just heightened. It's yeah. Whereas you had your slow burning moments in twenty eighteen, um, of you know Laurie's story and some emotional moments. Here it's just it's basically screaming nose at you and going at hundred miles per hour. Like there's yeah. no slow moments in this film. Yeah. It is constant. And uh, over criticisms, um, yeah, and I don't necessarily agree. Is that a lot of characters were introduced just to be killed off? I mean that's traditional that's slasher. slasher. That is traditional. The same slasher. was done in twenty eighteen. You know they they a lot of traditional slasher films do not develop their characters at all. Before killing them off. I saw one review that was like, oh, um, you know, we've got this this Tommy Doyle and everything. Why am I meant to care about these characters? Well, this is why watching the original half, doing a bit of research. And if you're, you know, you're going not to turn your mind off, if you want to get involved in the story, you might want to watch the original and the 2018 one first. Yeah. You know? That would help. That would help in understanding who these people are and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, getting into the trivia, actual firefighters from Cannon Air Force Base Fire Department appear in the film's opening sequence. Oh. According to Andy Matichak, uh, it was initially... Uh, by the way, I'm probably pronouncing her name. Matichak? Matichak? Matichak. Yeah. Matichak. Um, it was initially planned that they'd be filmed back-to-back Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, uh, but this did not occur, occur due to an intense schedule. So, hopefully they haven't had any growth spurts like the kid from Rob Zombie's films. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance in Halloween 1978, and for its sequels, surprisingly wasn't brought back through special effects or VFX trickery. That is surprising, because we walked out of that cinema and we were convinced. Yeah. It was CGI. This is fucking insane. The MCU are constantly putting so much money into de-aging people for their films with CGI. This, I'm going to go out there and say this is some of the best de-aging I've ever seen and the best resurrection of a dead person I've ever seen because this is fucking ridiculous. Like, he is identical. Like, you can't tell them apart. No. It is ridiculous. Well, it wouldn't be de-aging, though, would it? It's not de-aging, no. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, you know, a reconstruction of someone from, yeah. a, you know, from a previous time. It's creepy to look at because it really is dead, but... Yeah, this is so impressive. He was played by set constructor Tom Jones Jr. in his very first film role. With the help of practical makeup appliances, Jones Jr. bears an uncanny resemblance to the late Pleasance. He was then dubbed by uh, Colin Mahan, who did the voice acting in 2018. 
Careful lighting, editing and digitally adding grain to the footage completes the illusion that these scenes were shot in 1978. Jones Jr. was originally supposed to appear as Loomis in an unused opening scene for 2018 as well, which would have retconned the ending of Halloween 1978 and have Michael Myers kill Dr. Loomis. After which, Laurie Strode shoots Michael. However, the makers ultimately chose not to go through with this and continue the original ending uh, of 78 in this movie. I'm glad they did. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad they did. It, it, he looked uncannily yeah. like Donald Pleasant. I thought it was one of those... Uh, what what are they calling them now? Fake. Deep fake. Deep yeah. fake. Yeah. I thought it was deep fake. Like, I, I'd yeah. like to see more stuff done like this when something like that needs to happen because, I mean, if you can achieve that through practical effects and makeup, fucking go for it because it looked... It, yeah, you've got to see it to believe it. Yeah. And that's one common thing. It's been divisive, but one thing everyone can agree on is that the 1978 flashbacks all look incredible. Yeah. Like, the cinematography is the exact same... Michael Myers, they've got the exact same fucking boiler suit of mask, like, accurate, right down to a T. Lonnie looks like young Lonnie. It is ridiculous, but it, it's just amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I'd already agree. <laughs> David Gordon on. Green recalled uh, that when they attempted to film, to find a yearbook photo of Bob from the first film... He came across a yearbook photo of Bob Odenkirk, the lead actor from Nobody and the guy from Breaking Bad, uh, that he thought resembled original actor John Michael Graham. The rights issues were resolved so that Green could use Odenkirk's photo instead of the original actor, and he's therefore credited as Bob, despite not physically appearing in the film. And looking absolutely like, like Bob from the Universal received a lot of flack for releasing the film in theatres and on its Peacock streaming services simultaneously. This was actually producer Jason Blum's idea after the poor box office performance during the pandemic of Freaky. Uh, He found that the best option was to show the film on Peacock and at cinemas at the same time. Yeah, I think we're getting a push towards this. I absolutely have not got time to delve deep into it. But I've got no problem with it. Um, I think... You know, with films, we're a huge Blu-ray and DVD collection here, which we watch on our TV at home. And I can honestly say I, I didn't sit there whilst watching, you know, in, um, whatever film from our collection. Like, oh, do you know what? I wish this was on the big screen. You know, wow. people some films. Yeah, but people that. want to watch these films, however, is the most convenient for them. As long as they're watching, yeah, then I don't see why people should have such a problem. No, it's true. Um, Ryan Freeman, which is a huge conversation about Dune at the moment, isn't it? I know. Like it has to be on the big. I screen. fucking wish I watched Dune at home because at least I could have got on my fucking phone when I was bored. We, you know, we live in a time where we can digest media. Um, as convenient as we want, you know, and I, yeah. I don't have a problem with that necessarily. Producer Ryan Freeman uh, lobbied for a Danielle Harris cameo in the film, but Jesus it was denied. Jesus Christ, poor Danielle <laughs> Harris. Constantly getting turned down. In the first scene in the bar, the scene begins with three ladies sing, uh, doing karaoke at the open mic. Very badly, but they're still slaying in those outfits. How dare you. The song they're singing is She Doesn't Want You Anymore, which was a song recorded in 1985 by the Coupe de Verles. Uh, the band has a song in the original Halloween film and consists of John Carpenter, 
Nick Castle and the producer, uh, production designer and editor of the original film, Tommy Lee Wallace. Hey, didn't they do a song together, the, the Big Trouble in Little China? I think they song. did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though the original house that was used... Could you imagine if the girls were singing Big Trouble in Little China? Oh, right? no, that would have been amazing. Big Trouble, big trouble <laughs> in Little China. <laughs> Hopefully that happens in Halloween now. Oh, that would be so good. Jamie Lee Curtis sings <laughs> karaoke. Though the original house uh, that was used for the Myers House in Halloween 1978 in South Pasadena, California, is still standing, it is not used for the Myers House in this film. The new Halloween films are shot in North Carolina, not California, and uh, it it exists on an actual street with the interior scenes being shot on a soundstage. The original house, which is now used as an insurance agency, is owned by someone who does not enjoy the legacy the house maintains. There is even a sign on the property asking people not to go on the porch and take pictures. Fans, understandably, often ignore the sign, especially on Halloween when many people dress as Michael to take pictures with fans. Seriously, why move in there? Yeah. Why move into that house if you don't want people to... I love the tourist attraction. boring bitch. To do that, you know, you'd think you'd play along and, and get involved in it all. Yeah. You know, oh, nah, fuck that. Paul Rudd was asked to... I had a bit of fucking fun. <laughs> Paul Rudd was asked to reprise the role of Tommy Doyle, but he couldn't because of his Ghostbusters schedule. Malak Akkad um, addressed and explained why it would have been distracting for Rudd to reprise the role of Tommy Doyle. At a press event attended by Screen Rant, Akkad admitted it would have been wonderful if he reprised his role. Um, it would have warmed his heart and there's definitely some disappointment there. However, he felt that Anthony Michael Hall fulfills the role in a way that's maybe less jarring for the narrative and maybe won't take people out of it. Um, because Paul Rudd is, is so big for a lot of things like comedy and whatever. Ant-Man. He's a fantastic actor. I think it turned out this way for a reason and we're so excited. Anthony Michael Hall gives a knockout performance. It's definitely going to be one of the fans' favourites. That didn't age well. Everyone hates Anthony Michael Hall in this film. I don't know why. Um, yeah, but Paul Rudd would have been a awful choice. It would have been. It would have It would never have worked. Paul Rudd is a lot of things. Um, big, scary, bar drinker, mob leader... With a baseball bat is certainly not one of them. <laughs> Could you imagine? It's you true, know, it's oh, true. I'm gonna fucking kill Michael Myers tonight. <laughs> Him swinging a baseball bat. I don't fucking think I know, so, darling. I know. And making Paul Rudd look old and, and haggard is, is not something that's possible, is it? Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah. He, he would actually look like. He would be like. like you, you've had a that? great time. Like. <laughs> It clearly weren't that fucking traumatic. He barely <laughs> aged. Buster Rhymes was almost included in the film, but it was scrapped. Okay. Reprising his role. And I don't think so. Kyle Richards is in this. Yes. In full adult real housewife form. She she is. She looks very different to how she looked in 1978. She, not, not in a bad way. No, she broke her nose filming the fight scene with Michael and she didn't tell a crew about it until later, wanting to finish filming the scene herself. Go on, girl, doing your own sons. Go on, girl, getting a quick nose job. Get a quick nose job. Well at the time. She probably admits it. Um, 
Michael McDonald, uh, the actor who plays gay icon Little John, uh, the partner of other gay icon Big John, is the only person to have been killed by Michael Myers and Mike Myers. In Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery, he plays Dr. Evil Henchman that gets slowly flattened by the steamroller whilst shouting no. In this film, he gets killed off screen while shouting no. <laughs> I knew I recognised his face. But he was also on Mad TV. Yeah. Uh, which I, I do enjoy and I remember. I swear he was part of the Desperate Housewives skit that they did. And that's mm-hmm. why I recognised his face. Or, or the Wizard of Oz one. Both hilarious. Yeah. The, um, the ending, it was originally a little different to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Laurie calling Karen on a mobile moments after Karen is killed in the Michael Myers house. And Michael uh, answers the phone and breathes into the receiver in the same way he did in 1978 after he killed Linda. Uh, and then this leads to the shot in the trailer, funny enough, of Laurie walking out of the hospital... Holding the knife that her granddaughter left for her earlier. Um, I, in absolutely no way whatsoever, in any of the universes or multiverses <laughs> or whatnot, would I believe that Michael Myers, a man of, in his 60s, after 40 years <laughs> of standing in one spot, not talking, <laughs> would be able to work a fucking cell phone. Lucky for you. Even answer the call. I mean, God love her, love her to bits, but my mum struggled for years <laughs> and still constantly <laughs> asks me questions and she ain't been a mute for 40 years in a, a mental asylum. Well, lucky for you, I think it's going to be included on the extras of the Blu-ray. Okay, fantastic. He's going to swipe, he's going to... Which of the green one? Or the, the, not, I'd understand no, if... Karen was answered the phone and then she was killed. Yeah. Like in the same way as the original. Yeah. And that would have actually had some impact to it as well. That yeah. would have been and, a good and he, She could hear his breathing in yeah. the background. But for him to answer the phone, I don't fucking think so, darling. He wouldn't have been... You know, I can suspend belief to a certain extent. But that would have just been <laughs> silly. I would have been like, no, there's no way he could answer that phone. He went fucking FaceTime and you're all right, Laurie. Well, the reason it was scrapped is because um, Halloween Ends is going to take place four years after Halloween Kills. And David Gordon Green was worried that keeping that ending in will make people think that it's going to take place on the same night. What? So, keeping that in, Laurie leaving the hospital in slow motion with the knife, he thought that would make people think that Halloween Ends takes place on the same night as Halloween Kills. But it's not. It's going to take place four years later. Okay. So that's why you removed that ending. Of him answering the phone? Yeah. Okay. That makes no sense, but we haven't got time. Because she is... No, because of the bit of her walking out of the hospital. Looking like she's going to go for a showdown with Michael. Okay, fabulous. But, you know, you just start the next film and say, hey, it's 2022. (laughs) I thought you were glad the scene wasn't included. I am glad it wasn't included. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. But the explanation don't make sense. The ex- the reason why the scene shouldn't have been included is because Michael Myers wouldn't be able to answer a fucking phone. Body count 28. Familiar sights, all of the references. No. Moving on. Laurie spending most of her time in the hospital comes from Halloween 2. Yes. Angry citizens. In a wig. Yeah, in a wig. Angry citizens wanting to hunt down Michael Myers as part of a mob comes from Halloween 4. 
The silver shamrock masks are back. Oh, you can't get rid of them. Michael returning to his childhood home and killing the people living in it is from Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Is that not from all films? No. Isn't the whole idea of all his films is that he returns? Not to his childhood home. That's only no. Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers. Is it really? Yeah. Oh. Um, Michael uh, jumping on top of a vehicle to attack potential victims comes from both the original and Halloween 4. Michael killing a bunch of angry citizens comes from Halloween 4. Michael killing Laurie's daughter comes from Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Haddonfield citizens hanging out... I don't think so. I think that's just a coincidence. Well, they're fans of the franchise. That's silliness. Haddonfield citizens hanging out in a local town bar before hunting down Michael Myers is from 4. The Haddonfield Sheriff's Department being in full force whilst Myers is on the loose comes from 5. Yeah, and they do it by the book as well. So that's definitely a reference to uh, part 4. Movies playing in different scenes on TV is a, is a sort of staple of the franchise from the Rob Zombie it films really, and the yeah. first two. Uh, a character being mistaken from Michael and then killed comes, of course, from Halloween 2 with Ben Tramer and Halloween 4 with Ted Hollister. Rest in peace. Rest in peace both. Um, a Haddonfield news report on the TV at the local bar comes from Halloween 4 and a head security guard at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital as a character and being killed by Michael, comes from Halloween 2. That's stretching it a bit. I think some of them were stretches. God bless you whoever put that together. But I think a, a few of them were stretches. It's just, I mean, there's loads of films that use, what, a news report on the TV in a bar. You know, loads of films do that. Okay, well, someone's put it together, so let's not get too angry well, about it. Well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> And that person being me, by the way, from Random Resources, but I'll just go fuck myself. Well, thank you for the the (laughs) Random Resources, but some of them are stretches. An injured Laurie Strode leads a vigilante mob to hunt down unstoppable killer Michael Myers and end his reign of terror once and for all. That's what they want you to think. That is not the truth. Lies. It was all lies. We start immediately after the scene in which... Deputy Frank Hawkins is stabbed in the neck and left to die by Dr. Sartain. And he is found by teenager Cameron Alam. Who? who calls an ambulance. Oh, I forgot, what? I forgot he existed. <laughs> Hawkins regrets... He, he was... Why is that not in your trivia? He was meant to die in the first film, wasn't he? Was he supposed to die? Uh, it probably would have been one of the I many deleted he was, scenes. I heard he was meant to die in the first film, Cameron. Um, but he didn't. But the film just kind of forgets about it. Well, I mean, it's probably one of the many deleted scenes. It might be, yeah, his death. Hawkins Um, tells Cameron that he regrets not allowing Michael's execution and swears to kill him. And we are taken back to October 31st, 1978. Looking identical to the original. Hawkins chases Michael Myers down an alleyway but loses him. His partner, played by indie film star Jim Cummins who yeah. is quite a big name amongst indie film fans yeah um, he tells him the backstory of Michael and how he used to hang out with him when they were six but Michael was spent all of the time sp- staring out of his sister's bedroom window okay Lonnie Lamb is bullied by a bunch of kids one of which is culturally appropriating with a Native American costume before a cop tells him to go home because a man in a white mask just murdered three kids yeah. I'm not going to lie. These kids look kind of weird. <laughs> but in yeah. the set, I, fe- I feel like they... 
Because obviously they're modern kids playing 1978 kids, <laughs> but it doesn't quite... They, they've got modern faces. It just looks kind of weird. I don't know. Sorry. Well, apologies that they don't have 1978 faces. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> well, every kid looked like they were 50 in 1978. Well, people have d- developed over the last 40 years. <laughs> Our faces have changed. Lonnie runs into Michael whilst running home, but he covers his face and so when he looks up, he's gone. Hawkins and his partner go to the Myers house... Where they find the dead dog that Michael was eating. Oh no. We finally get to see the Poor dead dog. Rex. <laughs> they go upstairs and Michael charges into Judith's room and tries to strangle Hawkins' partner with some rope. So we finally <laughs> see... Haddonfield where nothing exciting and then he... <laughs> tries great to jump scare. And the rope is the rope he stole from the store. Oh, he finally gets some use for finally that. Finally uses it, because you never see it used in the uh, original. No. I love how they tie up every fucking loose end right down to the rope. <laughs> Pun intended. And there we go. Hawkins... They could have just left it to me. I mean, I buy a load of shit that I never use. <laughs> Hawkins accidentally shoots his partner dead whilst trying to save him. He does. He, mi- he mi- missed many pennies. <laughs> he does. He does. And Michael leaves the house. So, Jim Cummins dies, and the police arrive with Dr. Samuel Loomis in the flesh. Yes, technically. Asking if Michael killed again, and then in a fucking great shot. Talk about great cinematic moments opening a film. They all stand around watching Michael in front of the Myers house, like the opening of the original. Mm-hmm. Credit start. Yeah, great fucking reference incredible. to the first one. Um, looks... Exactly like, you know, the 1978 film. Yeah, really well done. The opening credit sequence shows us 12 pumpkins on fire with a new version of the main theme, which I love. Again, soundtrack for this film is flawless in every way possible. Um, yeah, the 12 pumpkins, what do you think that symbolises? 12 Days of Halloween. Well, it's the 12th film in the franchise, obviously. Oh, it's um, me. <laughs> And obviously like the Haddonfield citizens. Made milking and shit. The Haddonfield citizens, because again, you know, like twenty eighteen was Laurie's film. This is very much Haddonfield's film, and Michael's because he's having a great time just murdering everyone. Yes, yeah, Haddonfield. This is Haddonfield's film. Like this is the the residents of Haddonfield coming together, and it kind of yeah, I think that symbolizes that. Okay. Yeah. On fire, you know, angry. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. 40 years later, Tommy Doyle celebrates the 40th anniversary of Michael's imprisonment along with fellow survivors Marion Chambers, played by original actress Nancy Stevens, Lindsay Wallace, played by the house-stealing Kyle Richards, and Cameron's father Lonnie Elam, who is not played by the original Lonnie Elam. All, they've all encountered Michael in 1978. The doctor and nurse couple, Vanessa and Marcus from the pre- previous film, are getting pissed off. With the Halloween survivors being all out and celebrating being alive. I know. Well, you shut the fuck up. The talent show's on go. They're trying to watch three queens performing badly at the talent show. They're dressed like they're in Aquamarine. They look like Casey Musgraves, don't they? <laughs> well, Aquamarine! You get Aquamarine. The Roberts film. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're like they're on the artwork of that film. You do a little bit. 
Lonnie introduces Tommy to the stage, who provides everyone with a monologue, including all of the backstory they need about the original film, complete with flashbacks and character introductions. It's... It, it is a bit weird. And now, I, I enjoyed this film, but I'm going to be critical of it when I feel it's necessary. I'm so weird and, like, awkward that they're like... Come on up, Tommy. And he just tells the story of Michael Myers. And here are the survivors. And there's, like, spotlights on each one. <laughs> this is Lindsay. This is Marion. This is Lonnie. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? It's like a talent show. It's weird. I mean, it was really weird. But that's it's... the idea. That's the idea. Tom Dole's a weirdo now. He's, yeah. he's just as obsessed as Laurie is. Yeah, I mean, no one can get over that night yeah. 40 years previous. Absolutely no one I mean, can get over it. It's implied that he's going to that bar doing the same fucking thing every Halloween. Yeah. yeah because he just can't get over the past. And, you know, that's where the trauma side to it comes in. Um, but they're all there having a comfortable Halloween night drink. He's telling a scary story and whatever. And they all toast to Laurie immediate cut to Laurie screaming on the way to the hospital uh, with Karen and Allison when firefighters drive past them and she screams the immortal words muttered by every gay guy who watched the trailer, let it burn. Yeah, so that answers the question to her favourite Usher song as well. <laughs> um, who the fuck called the fire service, by the way? The neighbours. Well, they shouldn't have. The neighbours, the one who works at the graveyard. Oh. Yeah, they're Laura's neighbours. They Did they film. say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. But she doesn't look like she's got neighbours. No. She kind of... No, they must the also like live... out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they must also live in the middle Maybe of nowhere. Maybe they just saw the fire. I mean, obviously, it would. It was a big fire. It would be easy to see. Um, Yeah, so... Straight after the last film, you know, they're going to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, the same hospital from Halloween 2. Um, the firefighters... And this one's actually busy. Yeah. Firefighters unknowingly release Michael, who is hiding in Laurie's gun locker. It is such a great shot of the firefighter falling into the basement. And you just see the shutter go up from the gun locker and he's just standing there. It's fucking great. It's a great scene. But I don't know what indication the firemen were given that somebody was in there. Well, you don't know, do you? Well, it's Laurie's house. They called the fire brigade because they, th- they think Laurie's in there. Yeah, but... I, I don't know. I just think they wouldn't have gone in since the blaze was so bad. you got to check, eh? Yeah. They would just try and put it out. But it's it's a slasher film. It's okay. It's okay. Just holding it to account like I would any other film. Uh, yeah, so Michael murders all of them using their own equipment. What is that thing he uses? It looks like a pickaxe of some sort. I think it is a pickaxe. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Well, we'll say a pickaxe. Um, which he smashes the first firefighter's face in with it. Straight through the eye of someone else. The camera's inside the guy's helmet. So it looks amazing. Uh, another guy gets smashed in the face of it. He lifts one up with it. Um, after slow-mo coming out of the house and being sprayed with a fucking hose. Why did the firefighters think that was going to fucking stop him? Yeah. <laughs> That's the real question here. Have you here. seen Carrie? Uh, and finally, he grabs a bus saw and slices the fireman's face in half with it. So, we know he's back and we know he's fucking pissed off. It was giving me the end of Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the remake. Yeah. 
Um, the the whole uh, pickaxe going through the helmet was giving me my bloody Valentine 3D as well. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pure slasher film it's territory. Absolute. This scene lets you know From that. the get-go, we're like, oh, okay, this is what we're in for now. Yeah. You've had your story build up. You know where we are now in the timeline. You know who, which characters are going to be in it. Mm. That's just Michael Myers just fucking doing what he wants. Yeah. And it, it really is great. It shows how unstoppable he is. Everything that Loomis said about him is fully justified in the scene. Yeah. No, absolutely. And again, for me, like the original Halloween 2 from 81 was influenced by the slasher films that came after Halloween, mm-hmm. this is very much like that in comparison yeah. to 2018. Oh, where definitely. This is pure slasher film. Yes. Um, Laurie arrives at the hospital and she's going to stay there as well. She For the is. rest of top build, Jamie Lee Curtis, she ain't fucking moving from the hospital. <laughs> she's there for the film. Someone else is at the hospital. Who? I'll give you a hint, he looks a bit like Paul Lind. He fucking don't look like Paul Lind. He looks like Mickey fucking Rooney in he, this film. He looks like Jamie Lee Curtis's neighbour from Christmas in the Cranks. Is it Emma McWalsh? He does not like Emma McWalsh. Who? Emma McWalsh. He does. Oh, he does. Bless him. Um, the poor bastard has had to... He hasn't fucking retired. No, he's still he's the sheriff. Secure, no, he's doing security oh, at security, the hospital. Security. Like, fucking hell. Yeah, Lee Brackett. Day off. Lee Brackett is back. He and is. He's still working. And I felt... <laughs> I kind of felt like watching grandparents that I really cared about when watching him and Nancy Stevens. <laughs> I just felt really bad for him. He's so old and fragile. I know, yeah. Bless him. Um, that's really condescending, but you know what I mean if you see it. Like, they're just like, oh, Laurie. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like my impression when he's young. I'm going to show I was going to say, like, oh, Paul Lind. Like, Laurie. And, uh, Can you not do old man Paul Lind impression? Laurie. That sounds scary. Uh, Michael murders Laurie's neighbours whilst they're playing with a remote control helicopter. It's the woman who works at the graveyard from the previous film and her husband. The husband's like, uh, oh, the fire's at that fucking lunatic neighbour of ours, Laurie's house. <laughs> His wife was like, don't talk about that woman, she'll fuck you up. Is she? <laughs> it's true. Even her playing with a fucking random toy helicopter. That is fucking Friday the 13th. It's so Characters weird. doing random shit like that. It really doesn't is. doesn't make any sense. It really is. And she fucking drives it into Michael. He doesn't take too kindly to it. He's just hiding out in their bathroom. Um, so he bashes the husband's head on the wall a few times before slamming the back of his neck through some glass. He takes a long light bulb, smashes it at the end, stabs it through the wife's neck and twists it. He then puts the husband on... In a bizarre series of events, it has to come in here. He puts the husband... On the kitchen table, tries out every fucking kitchen knife they own, and they own a lot of knives, before deciding on the one he wants to take with him, all whilst his dying wife watches, and it's intercut with the next scene, so he even gets a round of applause from yeah. the talent show. It is very harsh. I said, after watching this for the first time, oh, I think people maybe haven't watched slasher films before, and it was a bit bit jarring to them that how violent or I don't know if it's as violent as everyone's making it out to be when we watched it for the second time that scene in particular I was like okay no I, I totally get where everyone's coming from this yeah. is fucking brutal it is a very brutal scene that just shows how fucking evil he is yeah 
But he decided on the knife he wanted. You've got to try before you buy, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was really hard stuff for the for the graveyard worker, though, because we were like her. She's, she was a good character. We did like her, yeah. Marcus... Like what we got from her. Yeah. Like one scene in the first one. Marcus and Vanessa make friends with Tommy, Marion, and Lindsay uh, as Lonnie gets a call from Cameron telling him what's happened. Sheriff Barker and the police find the firefighters and the bond made cops' corse- corpses... Yes. Yeah. Michael's killing spree is notified to Tommy, Marion, Lindsay and Lonnie through a wireless emergency alert and a news report featuring an interview with Julian from the previous film. Yes, Julian's back <laughs> very briefly. Really cocky. Yeah. Telling us how uh, Vicky was his favourite babysitter. Yeah. Marcus is like, it's that little shit from over the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we get the pictures of Bob and Linda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, earlier on, when Tommy Doyle was giving us the introductions, he mentioned Lindsay's babysitter Annie. We get a shot from Halloween too. Yeah, we do. Yeah, even though it doesn't uh, exist. Yeah, um, the the big reveal of her body from Halloween too. Yeah. Nancy Loomis is starring role in that film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she got a, <laughs> she got a paycheck just for lying on a fucking um, what do you call it? <laughs> Stretcher. Stretcher. Thank you. Vanessa supposedly encounters Michael in her car, but the driver crashes and escapes unnoticed after Tommy approaches him and smashes the car with a baseball bat. And Marion delivers the meme itself, the first line it's muttered in the film, the first time it's muttered in the film. She says, Evil dies tonight, Tommy. Yeah, which is lovely, but I much prefer the other person that says, I'm gonna fuck him up. <laughs> Was that not Marion as well? No, I don't believe it was. <laughs> I feel so sorry for Marion. I think I feel more sorry for her than Charles Cypher. So the fact that she's in it for a very brief amount of time, there's a big deal made about it coming back. They spoiled her fucking death in the trailers and the clips of the film. Um, and she's just there to say a few lines and it sounds like she doesn't know where she is. She, <laughs> she's there just to... Um, uh, obviously show us that she was completely obsessed with Dr. Loomis. Yeah. She proper had a thing for him, very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, she's just there to, to die. Very much H2O, in yeah. that sense. I'm where, glad she's uh, in it. it. It Death is a great scene. Um, it is. But she, she's given me a bit of... It doesn't... Like, watching... If we're going through the timeline of 78, 2018, mm. and Halloween Kills... Her death doesn't really mean that much. She's like, no. oh, she survived. That yeah. No, like, well, he was only wanting to rob her car. To be yeah, fair. yeah. Doctor Lewis survived that same attack. Yeah, to, to be honest. Um. She, yeah, she just reminds me a bit of Patricia Quinn on Snatch Game. Like, oh, stop. Oh. <laughs> Who am I? Gay, <laughs> gay icons, Big John and Little John are introduced. Yeah, they're enjoying some Halloween music on the vinyl player. Big John is smoking weed and giving us a lip sync performance to It's Halloween, Stop Look and Listen by Pete and Tao. Little John's preparing the food. He's preparing a selection of cheeses yes. to enjoy whilst watching a film. Not a horror film. <laughs> Not a horror film. Now, these characters have took off um, within social media and whatnot. Um, again, no matter what you think of the film, a lot of people love these characters and Oh my god, is it refreshing to see. Yeah. The gay representation like this in a slasher film, it's hard to come by. In the 80s, you just, you'd be lucky if you get a few slurs every now and then. Now, 
these two characters are introduced, treated just as normally as any other couple would be in the film. Their sexuality is not a point. It you know some kids piss them off, but they're not homophobic to them. The internet would want you to believe Michael Myers is homophobic. Do not get me started on that. <laughs> um, but it is so refreshing. It really is. They're not yeah. over camp. They're camp enough, but not over camp. No. It's, it's a, a believable couple. Yeah. yeah. Who, you know, I, I mean, I ain't going to sit here and say that I wouldn't put a cheese board together for Halloween. No, exactly. You know, and we listen to music on our vinyl playing, you know, yeah. cheesy, campy music. So I, I ain't going to say it's. Um, <laughs> Not a proper representation. No, clearly it's, it's great. Um, and they've moved into the Myers house, and much like the gays in American Horror Story, they've moved into a murder house, and they have made it look sickening. They've really done the, the place up. It nicely. looks fabulous, yeah. and, and I don't often use that word, but they it is it is a glamorous fucking house. Yeah, and they've even set up a fucking dressing table mirror like Judith Myers in the winter. Oh yeah. <laughs> there you go, gays and their disposable incomes. <laughs> Some kids prank them. Um silver shamrock kids. Yeah, they pretend that one of them is bitten into an apple with a razor blade. Yes. Um is that a real And never throw back to Halloween too. Halloween yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Um and uh yeah when they realise that they've stole some candy from them one of them went in the house while they're distracted they told them the story of Michael fucking Myers in their words yeah so they tell the story my fa- my favourite bit is that when Big John says he stabbed his sister in the tits right upstairs <laughs> which is more accurate than the than podcasters. podcasters from the previous film uh, and then they tell him that Judith's ghost is still there and calls Michael's name and it scares him off. Yeah, it does that actually. Which is which is weird because they come across as very cynical kids yeah. that probably wouldn't believe that. Um, but seemingly they do believe that Judith is still there as a ghost. The ghost of someone who got stabbed in the tits is still yeah. there. <laughs> Karen and Alison are interviewed by the police about what happened. They're both informed that Michael is still alive and Karen decides to withhold it from Laurie to allow her to recover. Yes. Alison discusses not being able to speak about Michael growing up as Karen was fearful that Laurie actually could have been right. Mm-hmm. That's what she mentioned that. So that that's an interesting... It's a very interesting look. Yeah. Uh, Tommy decides to form a mob of vengeful Haddonfield residents to hunt down and kill Michael. Alison reconciles with Cameron and they join Tommy's mob to avenge her own father's death despite Karen telling her not to go. Yeah, but also, sorry, during Alison's interview, she reiterates the idea that it was the new Loomis, what was his name? Sartain. Sartain. It was his obsession and not Michael's. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alison leaves a knife beside Laurie before she leaves, which would have came into play in the end. Um, Marcus, Vanessa, Marion and Lindsay join the mob. Yeah. and I, I, I love when... Um, Marcus and Vanessa. Vanessa says, I'm a doctor, my husband is a nurse, <laughs> we can help. Yeah. Um, but they're dressed the opposite, so she's dressed as a sexy nurse and he's dressed as a doctor. I thought that was quite funny. Carl Richards walks up like, you didn't think we let you have all the fun? Yes. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, so this is... So, Carl Richards has been a big part of the advertising for this yeah. film. Um, she's done lots of interviews. She's a big name, you know. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Me and Gary are a little bit obsessed with the new season. Me in, in particular. Um, so, what? <laughs> Me as well. <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're super excited to see her in the film. Spoiler, she's not in it the biggest amount. Some fucker reviewed this and said that she was the main character, her and Tommy Doyle. You're a fucking liar, whoever that was, by the way. She's not a main character at all. She's not really. She does well, but this is her moment, isn't it? So this is where we get Kyle Richards in Halloween Kills. And you know what? I will go on record saying that she is fucking good in this film. She is. She does what she does. She hasn't acted years, she unless you count Real Housewives. Or um, the Pledge This that she was in. Wow. <laughs> Tommy drives around telling people to overlook themselves and doors or join a mob. Marion tells Vanessa... <laughs> he says we need some good people. <laughs> <laughs> Marion tells Vanessa, Marcus and Lindsay how everyone should have listened to Loomis. Because he knows a killer when he sees one. It's true. I've been saying it on the podcast for weeks. Listen. Lindsay asks the little bastards who stole from the Johns why they're in a playground so late. Um, and they're really cocky with her. And she and they explain that they're playing hide and seek with a man in a white mask. So she notices Michael watching her holding a bloody silver shamrock mask where he's killed another fucking kid. Yeah. Possibly decapitate the kid because he's—I mean—he's holding his head. Well, this is the kid that went into yeah, yeah, yeah. John Little John's yeah. house. Um, so I think he was a little older. So Lindsay tells him to run, and Michael jumps on top of Lindsay car. Lindsay's car snatches Marion's wig from the window. Yeah, she's <laughs> part of her wig was snatched, and she says, "Hey, Michael." This is for Dr. Loomis. She's obsessed with him. She proper <laughs> fancied Dr. Loomis. But he was obsessed with Michael. It's, very, it's, a, love triangle. it's a very sad love triangle. <laughs> it's, you know, very love Simon, isn't it? She tries shooting him, but she's out of bullets. So he fucking stabs her to death. Yes. Marcus, a real-life moron... Well, not real life, it's in a film, but an actual moron... How rude. I'm sure the actor in real life is not a moron. <laughs> An actor, a, a character who is an actual <laughs> moron, tries attacking Michael with a, with his famous stethoscope. Yes, he does. Michael responds to this by stabbing him in the eye. <laughs> Vanessa, an even bigger moron, <laughs> tries shooting him. She shoots like a stormtrooper. She does. Nowhere near. She's a terrible shot. Her intentions are there. Yeah. She's slain in that outfit. But she tries shooting him and he kicks the door and <laughs> makes her shoot herself in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, meanwhile... She runs from Michael like she's uh, running from a restaurant in Amsterdam. <laughs> and she hides. Don't no, she? no, no. You have missed an iconic scene and I am shocked. No, it's before. Did you not mention a gathering a bag of bricks? No, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> you with us? So, Lindsay <laughs> gathers a bag of bricks. She <laughs> It is a sheet of bricks. <laughs> well, she grabs... So, the trick-or-treaters bag. Yeah, oh, yeah. She yeah. empties the Halloween candy out of it and gathers together bricks and stones <laughs> and rocks and shit and just gathers it all together. You know, she's into survival, clearly. Uh, she didn't do much in 1978, but she's making up for it now. 
Um, does does she whack him with it? She does. She does. After he, after, um, after after she watches the others get killed. Yeah, she peels out of nowhere, fucking whacks him in the head with this bag of bricks, and they have a scrap, uh, a proper oh, bitchy scrap. Yeah. He slams her against the car door, throws her on the floor, breaks her nose, for real. Yes. Um, and then she runs away like she's in Amsterdam she's... and hides in a nearby swamp. She does, yeah. A swamp with real alligators in, might we add. Um, I heard that the, the bag of bricks were all from the house that she stole from Kim. Yeah, they're from Kim Richards' house. Yeah. Um, I but, hear the the twist is it's actually Kim Richards in the Michael Myers mask. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she hides in what Carl Richards says was crocodile, oh, alligator infested <laughs> yeah. water. Yeah. Um, but she survives. It's Michael a, can't find her. Yeah. And he goes off. You yeah. know, it's all hunky dory. It, <laughs> Who's hunky dory? It's impressive. Um, it, and it's a really intense scene. It really is. Do you, do you know what? And and, and we don't want to go too, too much about the Real Housewives in case people don't understand what we're going on about. But on Instagram, Kathy Hilton, um, Paris Hilton's mother and Carl Richards' sister, um, posted on a lovely message saying how wonderful she was in the film. She gives a fantastic acting performance. Everyone's the family's proud of you. And that, and I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And then I thought she was going to be a massive part of the film after that review (laughs) that you mentioned earlier. And then we kind of watched the film and she does a fantastic job. But I'm like, oh, it's a little much, Kathy. (laughs) 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 Like, um, it's not, you know. Do you think Kathy walked out after Lindsay's final scene? (laughs) Like, this isn't Sophie's choice. Yeah, I think, I think Carl Richard was like, Oh, uh, yeah, no, this is me finished for the film. She's like, okay, I'm going now. <laughs> I assume she'll have a massive role in Halloween Ends. Or she gets killed in the first scene. <laughs> it's one of the two, isn't yeah. it? Laurie wakes up and is so happy because she thinks Michael is dead. And it's gutting to watch because you see she is so relieved. And obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't get a lot to do, but she delivers another fantastic performance, as always. And she genuinely looks so relieved. Um, Karen realises Alison has gone but doesn't say anything. Lindsay, who managed to go unnoticed by Michael, uh, is found alive by Tommy, Lonnie, Alison and Cameron, who also find the corpses of Marcus, Vanessa and Marion's corpses with the silver shamrock masks on them. <laughs> this film is obsessed with those masks, by the way. It was great I'm imagery. surprised at no point when it... They're saving that for Halloween ends. They've got to. They, they can't do all this build-up and not include it. Hawkins comes around and he and Laurie discuss how they kissed many years ago and how Hawkins was in love with Laurie, but she was sweet for none other than Ben Tramer. Ben Tramer. He exists in this universe. He's still alive. Yeah. So, obviously, Annie died before she had the chance to cancel the date between Laurie yeah. and Ben. So they must have still went on so it. So do you think they went on it? Yeah. Yeah, they must have. I reckon it. that's Karen's dad. Karen's dad is Ben Tramer. Yeah. Oh. So um, she tells Hawkins how she killed Michael. Uh, they have a nice little moment together. Things are getting heated at the hospital. Bracket, in a bizarre series of events, Bracket shouts Sheriff ba- shouts at Sheriff Barker about Michael. He's unstoppable, I'm telling you. Circle will get the square if you don't stop him. 
Oscar's mum frantically asks if anyone's seen Oscar. Remember yes. that piece of shit from the previous film? Yeah. Tim, Tommy takes Lindsay there and informs Laurie that Michael is still alive and that he's going to protect her because she protected him, which I thought was a really sweet scene. So does Carl Richards and Jamie Lee Curtis share a scene? No, this... they don't. No, they don't. No. So this is a bit... <laughs> like, they did a lot of the press together as yeah. well. I feel like Anthony Michael Hall... Didn't really want to do all the press. Mm. Was maybe not used to doing yeah. all the press after you know because he's 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 been acting but not in big films. Mm. Um, you got the impression that he you know he was just sort of going along with it. But Carl Richards and Jamie Lee Curtis were like oh it was fantastic working together after all these years. <laughs> Anyone can like they don't share a scene. <laughs> Um, yeah. Karen is actually the voice of reason. She is. By pointing out that the 40-year obsession has probably caused more damage. Now, mm. now continuing, because Michael is still alive, than, you know, ever happened in yeah. 1978. So yeah. it's that continuation of, oi, Laurie, actually, you probably should have gotten your shit together a long time ago, fucked off to fucking Paris or somewhere... And lived your life. And, mm. you know, people wouldn't have been hurt. Yeah. So, Tommy gives an evil dies tonight speech. Oh, I love those speeches. He it, he really hams it the fuck up. He really does. And I think Anthony Michael Hall's great in this. But it is so cheesy and so camp. But that is what adds to it. Anthony Michael Hall, when you go through his career... He's got range. Yeah. Because, obviously, he went from the nerdy kid. Mm-hmm. And then you watch Edward Scissorhands. And I haven't watched all of his films. But you watch Edward Scissorhands. And he, he's, like, buffed up. Yeah. And, like, he's a, a twat. He's a bully. He's an mm. asshole. And then you get to Anthony Michael Hall in, you know, 2021's Halloween Kills. And he's this, like mob leader yeah. with a baseball bat he's like evil dies tonight I'm gonna fucking kill him <laughs> fucking get him get in there <laughs> where are you let's be having ya and it's like that's so far removed it from breakfast it club is. it's like how is this the same actor it's crazy I know obviously acting's acting but, you know, he looks so physically different to how he did in those teen films yeah. from the 80s. Yeah. Laurie stabs herself in the ass with a needle. She does. Tells Karen to get the fuck out of her way and says she'll kill Michael even if it means her taking his head whilst he takes hers. Oh, that is a reference to H2O. It is. Big John and Little John are watching Millie and Moskowitz. Yes, the John Cassavetes film. When Michael starts knocking on their doors to wind them up. <laughs> to wind them up. Tell me the story about how I stabbed my sister in the tits. <laughs> Fucking keep talking about my sister's tits, gays. <laughs> Fucking keep it up. He enters the house and goes upstairs. And because they're drama gays, they don't run out of the house. No. They grab the knives and fucking follow him. <laughs> Kind of a bit like um, just <laughs> they lock the door so we can't escape. Yeah, just leave. Like I don't fucking think so, darling. <laughs> Lance Tavali 
uh, the inmate from Smith's Grove from the previous film, uh, and the driver of Vanessa's car, when they thought it was Michael, um, arrives at the Haddonfield Memorial Hospital and is mistaken for Michael. And it is fucking chaos. Tommy's mob pursuing through the hospital cuts back to Michael, just in case anyone had any doubts. Michael stabs Big John in the fucking armpit and gouges his eyes out and kills little John off screen. That made me wince. Yeah, like, he's nasty. Stabbing the armpit. That's never been done in a slasher. No. Film. I can't. Yeah, nasty. that made me wince that day. I don't know why. Is armpit sensitive? Yeah, I suppose it is. And of course, the there armpit. is a newspaper, newspaper, news article going around online saying that Michael Myers is homophobic. Get the fuck out of here. I've, I haven't read Seriously. it. Seriously. I've clicked on it. I think they've taken some tweets out of context because the tweets are very much... I think they were joking. Yeah. But obviously this site's making a massive deal of it. Like, oh yeah, homophobic. There's nothing homophobic about this fucking film. Get fucked. Seriously. He kills everybody. Yeah. Fucking hell. He's like that middle-aged aunt at a fucking barbecue. I that's think like, it's a joke. I, I think the joke is... Michael Myers is homophobic. Not the film is yeah, homophobic. Yeah. The joke is Michael Myers is homophobic. Yeah. He's like he's like that middle aged aunt, isn't he, at the barbecue where he's like, Oh no, I'm an equal opportunities person. I'm not racist. I hate everyone. Yeah. He's like Michael Myers genuinely means it, and he fucking does hate everyone. It doesn't matter true. what they are. <laughs> Didn't he? Don't kill babies. He doesn't kill babies. He don't kill babies. Draws lines somewhere. Um. Karen and Laurie realise that Lance is not Michael. Laurie is pushed out of the way by Haddonfield's citizens and taken back to her room where she blames herself. Hawkins also yeah. blames himself. It's both your fault. Yeah. We get a flashback to Loomis attempting to shoot Michael in 1978 and Hawkins stopping him. Yeah. Despite Karen's attempts to calm the mob and help Lance, he is forced to jump out of a window to his grisly death a very graphic aftermath. Now, this whole sequence is really fucking great. And it not only is it reminiscent of those protests uh, in America by the right-wing people smashing that building. What building was it? Capitol. Ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. So not only is it kind of reminiscent of that, in a way, which I've seen a lot of people compare it to. I'm honestly yeah. stealing that. Um, but also... It takes a look at not only is that we've all become monsters thing that we've been discussing for the last uh, two hours on this podcast, but also the whole thing in films where if you see someone in a psychiatric hospital or someone escaped from one, immediately you assume they're a villain. And it, that says a lot about mental health representation within films. And I think this scene de- deals with that very well to the point that this guy was actually an innocent guy who didn't want to harm anyone and he was forced to jump to his fucking death. Yeah. All because everyone assumed he's an escaped patient. He's got to be Michael Myers. Yeah. And, yeah, it's very much the um, sort of aesthetics of it. Like, this guy looks like a crazy serial killer. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, he must be. Even though everyone knows Michael Myers to be... Taller, yeah, um, less, um, well, thinner, mm. you know, and Michael Myers wouldn't just walk in to a hospital no. without his mouth, you Absolutely know, not. he has his thing that they all know about, but they're so caught up, 
they're so wound up that they just go after him and they're relentless. And again, it's who are the real monsters, yeah. you know? Well, after this, they find him, his brain splattered on the floor, his leg twisted all around. And Brackett says what we're all thinking. Now he's turning us all into monsters, Tommy. Exactly. Laurie tells Karen she needs to go after Michael because he's after her. Hawkins reveals it's not all about Laurie. And that Sartain took Michael to her. And then he then reveals about Michael staring out of his sister's window. I suggest that the whole time he may have been looking at his own reflection. Yeah, so it's the idea that Michael's urge to kill can't be explained mm. 100%. Loomis couldn't get it out of him. Sartain couldn't get it out of him. Laurie thought it was her, mm-hmm. but it's not. So this is evil. Evil exists and evil has no reasoning. Yeah. You know, horrible things happen to good people by chance. And that's scary. That is like what I was saying about Halloween 2018. Mm-hmm. It's scarier to think that something awful has happened to you by chance and you had no control over it than something happening to you and you can rationalise it. Yeah. And you can think this is because, you know, you know, in the other films, because I'm his sister or he's chosen me because he's obsessed with me. He's my stalker. You know, he's after me. This is why these horrible things have happened to my friends and why this has happened to me. When at the end of the day, it's just you were wrong place, wrong time, home. Yep. And that is scary because it could happen to any of us. Yeah. Lonnie, Cameron and Alison map out Michael's path and his victim's locations and realise that he's heading towards his childhood home. Karen tells Tommy she's going with him to hunt down Michael because she is done with the mob's shit. Karen really takes fucking control in this film. It is so great to see. Yeah, she comes into her own. She's the voice of reason, but she also understands that Michael has to die no matter what. Lonnie heads in alone to Michael's home so he can confront him by himself, but he is killed off screen. Alison and Cameron rush inside, find the John's corpses next to a picture imitating the position they've been left in, which is really fucked up. Yeah. Whilst Can I Have This Dance by Anne Murray plays Michael's choice of record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is the gay's house, of course, Anne Murray <laughs> plays. Cameron finds his dad's corpse when Michael storms out of the closet <laughs> in the gay's yeah, house. just put an Anne Murray record on. He storms out of a closet and stabs Cameron multiple times. Now, we all want to see Cameron die in the last film. He fucking makes up for it in this one. He does. Alison tries to save him by trying to shoot Michael and stabbing him. He throws her down the stairs, causing her to injure her leg. Much like her grandmother in the original. Michael bashes Cameron around some more, pushes his head through the stairs banister, impales him on the wood, and then when you think he's done with him, he twists his head to finish the job on the way down the stairs. Yes. It's fucking brutal. It is. I wonder what his death scene would have been in the uh, 2018. Probably nowhere near as good as that. No. 
Allison's like, come and get me, motherfucker. Allison tries to stab him, but he twists the knife around to her and she tells him to do it. Honestly, this five-minute sequence is fucking... What I love about women in horror films. It's so fucking empowering. They are fucking strong female characters. And it's amazing to watch. I was yassing all the way through it. Karen arrives. Stabs Michael in the back with a pitchfork. Before stomping on his head a few times. She's not quite got the strength of Michael. That doesn't squish it. No. She ain't got the right shoes for it. I don't think. She steals his mask. And taunts him to follow her. By asking if he wants it. And to come and get it. So you want to fucking kill someone? I'm an innocent woman, just like your sister. After you stabbed her in the tits, come and stab my tits. Carrie. That bit's not entirely true. She doesn't. She leads Michael into Tommy's mob, including the Iron Queen, who is internet famous. Yeah. Now. So after Robert Downey Jr. stopped playing Iron Man, <laughs> uh, there's been an opening, and we get Iron Woman. <laughs> Iron Queen. Iron Queen. She is there. She's prepared to fight him with a fucking iron. She looks like she's stuck in the 80s. <laughs> hey, it works in Valentine, so... Yeah, but she... Yeah, she's brought um, uh, iron to a knife fight <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> she's not even plugged in. It, it would work a bit better if it was plugged in. It is a shame she doesn't survive this film. I'd like to have seen more of her. Yeah. Um, Karen says, gotcha. And one iconic line followed by the other. He steps forward, Charles Cyphers, and says, you know, it's Halloween, Michael. Everyone's entitled to one good scare. Whilst pointing a gun at him. It is fucking... The, oh, my God. We had this spoiled on a fucking trailer before watching it. I could have cried. It is it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's I I feel like this one um, throws back to the nineteen seventy eight more yeah than oh, twenty eighteen yeah um, the... so there's it's full of these moments where yeah. you know and Halloween's your favorite film oh yeah yeah where it's fan service yeah um, so you, for these moments you kind of have to you know watch the original. Or you're not going to get it. You're no. like, oh, this old man who's been in, like, what, two scenes has just said this. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, this means nothing to me because I haven't seen 1978. Yeah. The mob swarm and seemingly kill Michael. Karen delivers the final stab when he tries to reach for his knife. Laurie and Hawkins discuss how Michael could be more than just a man. And how he becomes stronger with fear and all the people he kills. He can't be defeated and he'll always come back. So, when the mob think he's dead, in a really fucking wow shot scene, some top-notch cinematography, it's clearly filmed in a blank studio, black background, Michael recovers and completely slaughters the mob. Mm-hmm. Like, he, including Tommy and Brackett, he slits Brackett's throat, slices his way through the rest of them, including the Iron Queen, uh, stabs Tommy and then beats him with his fucking own baseball bat. Michael Myers uses a fucking baseball bat. He does. There is gore this, everywhere. Yeah. This is absolutely um, fantasy yeah. John Voorhees. Uh, John Voorhees. John Who Voorhees. the fuck is John Voorhees? <laughs> um, Michael Voorhees. What the fuck? Jason Voorhees. Jason Voorhees, for fuck's sake. Friday the 13th territory here. 
he is the boogeyman, he is evil incarnate, he can't be killed in the traditional sense. Yeah. Which is kind of true for the other films. So yeah. I don't know why people yeah. were so put out by this. Um, because it wasn't, you know, it was in the fucking contract that he wasn't allowed to die. Mm. But you still had these moments in all of the sequels. So... Well, this is not a fucking call. Yeah, yeah. Back at Michael's home, Karen has a vision of young Michael staring out the window. So she goes to investigate whilst Alan rece- uh, Alan? Allison receives medical attention. Michael appears out of nowhere and stabs Karen to death, shot in the style of Psycho and Judith Myers from the original. Yeah. You don't see the knife go in, but you, you see her trying to fight him off. The score has a bit of Psycho in it as well. It's a really great nod. Um, she's dead on the floor. Laurie stares out of her hospital room window. Michael stares out of Judith's window. Fucking end credits. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, during the end credits, we get a super 80s song that I've added to the playlist on Spotify. Can't remember the name of it right now, but it is exactly what you expect to hear uh, in an 80s slasher Yeah, film. absolutely. I think it's fantastic. I love this film. I really do. I really enjoyed it. It has its faults, um, but I didn't think it was as good as 2018. No. But it's just a really enjoyable film. Just, you know, switch off and enjoy. It is still the third best Halloween film. Um, it does everything you could want it to do and that ending is the it's such a great fucking cliffhanger mm. you know it leads it leaves so many possibilities now as to where it could go next and I cannot wait for Halloween ends next year yeah yeah I'm so glad we only have to wait a year for it so our final round for these episodes of uh, the awards ceremony best kill Cameron's very long very brutal death I've got um, yes, I agree. I agree with that, actually. Like, it just goes on for so long, and it is so brutal. Or the old couple. Yeah. Yeah, bless, bless their hearts. One good scare. I'm giving it to Kim... Kim Richards, I'm oh, fucking certainly not. Yeah. Giving it to Kyle Richards and The Swamp. Yeah, that was quite an intense scene. Obviously... The thing is, Carl Richards isn't actually my favourite on Real Housewives, (laughs) but I feel an affinity to her because I'm a fan of the Real Housewives. So I was kind of like, oh no, she's going to die. So yeah, I suppose, yeah, it's true. I find it difficult to find just one most likeable character for this film. So I've got Alison, again, any of the Strodes really, and Big John and Little John. Love Big John and Little John, love them. Um, I thought Alison very likeable. I thought Karen came into her own in the film as well and obviously Laurie in in the scenes that she was in. Um, I feel like we never give this to a man so Hawkins and good old Brackett Yeah, I'd love to see him. Most unlikable character I've got characters, the Silver Shamrock kids. Oh those little shits. Stealing from the gays. So rude. That's it. That's the Halloween franchise. Thanks for sticking yeah, with us for this long-ass episode. <laughs> yeah, it's super long. Watch it in parts. Uh, quick ranking of... I hope you're not watching. Um, listen, in parts. <laughs> quick ranking off the top of my head with the franchise. Obviously, 78 is number one. 2018, Halloween Curls. Uh, Halloween... H2O. Halloween H2O. Halloween 3. Halloween 2, 4... Six, five, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, Resurrection, Rob Zombie's Halloween. 
What's yours? Um, mine would be very similar to that, but I would put three lower. Wow, sorry yeah. to be wrong. <laughs> um, but yes, hit or miss franchise that really gets to its best or when it gets near the modern day. Yeah, when it's good. It's fucking good. It's nice. It's bad. Yeah. It's fucking dire. It's nice to have a timeline where we could just watch 78 and then 2018 and then the new ones. You know, it's, it's, it's nice. Yeah. So, fan of the franchise? Fan of Halloween? Halloween Kills? No? Yes? No? Let us know on social media or Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Did you think Paul Rudd should have returned? I Let us know. I did, did Kyle steal Kim's house? Is it a fact? I'm Dead at Gaz 92 on Letterboxd, Gaz Cruz. Does Kim Richards stir the pot? Let us know. Gaz Cruz 92 on Twitter, Gaz 205 on Instagram. I am Chris Barker 823 on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. Great review and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. Friday, we'll be back with Original Versus Remake. Whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yes. Sunday... We will be providing you with not only the Halloween bonus episode, but also our 150th episode where we'll be discussing Malignant and all of its influences. Yes. The second most divisive horror film of the year. Uh-huh. And in a week today, we're starting off Nasty November where we'll be discussing Video Nasties all month. And thanks to everyone who voted on the polls... We will be discussing Tenebrae for the first episode. Yes. Um, my favourite Argento film, yeah. which might be a little controversial, a little controversial to say. Sam? Yes, fantastic. We'll see you on Friday. Everyone's a title to one good scare. Bye. <laughs>